This podcast is for mature audiences only and may include cussing, cursing, fidgeting, rambling, insensitive or irreverent material, slurs, catchphrases, expressions, lamentations, and or degradations that aren't suitable for young folk. Also, we'll be talking about the reefer. That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Dank Dan is feeling that Rocky Mountain High with Far Cry 5. Breathe it in, Dan. We look at some gooey indie goodness from PAX East. Andy switches it up with some Skyrim and PUBG wants its players back. Revealed! The PlayStation 5. No, I'm kidding. Hide the scent of your weed. Nexon takes a big old L. Pokemon Go gets shiny. And binge drinking gets kicked in the Johnny Walker by weed. We'll also be settling in for a smoke sesh with our strain and our munchie of the week. So stick around for that because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy. And with me as always, the one, the only, the forever wearing corduroy, Dank Dan. Andy, we just got the go-ahead from Central to break Atmo. Uh, coordinates are locked in for Antares Alpha Scorpii. Uh, Antares Alpha Scorpii. That uh, was the name of my middle school teacher. She was a great calculus woman, and even better at massaging my shoulders. Was she from the Outer Rim and also spending time in a federal penitentiary? <laughs> <laughs> All of the above, my friend. Antares Alpha Scorpii, we salute you. Oh! Uh- the salute's already out. Holy Anna. We're 20 seconds in. We've already got a salute under our belts there, friend. Welcome to the Purple Dungeon Squid. Andy, you will salute like a a road apple. You will salute like a a middle strength sneeze. Yeah, I mean, I'd salute almost anything um, except a bad pun. Sometimes I'll let those fly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, if, for those of you who are just now tuning into the Purple Dungeon Squid, if this is your maiden voyage with us, um, welcome aboard. This is a weed and video games focused podcast where we talk a lot about video games and a lot about weed. And uh, Dank Dan, it's it's been a little while, buddy. It's been uh, ooh approximately seven days as usual, <laughs> but it yeah, always like feels like a and long change. time. Now, you mentioned focus, and this podcast has a lot of things. Focus is usually not in the top five. Yeah, focus, focus. That's what I always say. It's the first time you've ever said that. It's and a, I yep. hope it's the start of a trend. It's the start of, a, start of the beginning of a great thing, um, followed very quickly by a bad thing. You'll find out about the well, bad man. thing in a later segment. Ooh, tantalizing. Well, uh, I'm great, my man. Uh, this week, I had the pleasure of attending... The Green Living Show here in sunny Toronto. That's got to be. You know what I noticed? That, that's got to be a weed thing, right? Well, you know what? Usually the answer would be no, but this year there was like a very strong cannabis presence at the Green uh, Living Show. Like typically, what you're talking about is like uh, there's like you know massagers and like uh, turmeric infusers, so you can put turmeric in everything you could possibly imagine. There's a whole show for this. 
Yeah, it's it's like it's folks that are into health stuff and oh, you know organic living and you know you can get a bamboo pillow there. Someone also snuck beer and wine into the back of this show. They're like, we're just gonna get beer and wine in there. Ah, patchouli uh, beer and wine. Oh, <laughs> I hope not. Nah. Um, but smells you know, awful. Year, tastes even worse. Did you want to smell a little bit like dirt? And I, I guess there's some alternatives that are worse. Like if it's all you had, you might. You might go that direction. I don't know that there would ever be uh, a series of events leading to me trying patchouli beer. I think that that would be a hard no. Um, I moved into the house of a woman who once wore too much patchouli, and it, it smelled of patchouli for so long that I don't think I'll ever be able to get the smell out of my nose. I think like I haven't encountered patchouli in the wild in quite some time. I think it's something you like try in college, like maybe uh, uh, dreadlocks or... Going vegan and and you maybe you keep going and maybe some of them you leave behind because I I haven't really I haven't come across patchouli in some time. I did some embarrassing stuff in college. Uh, patchouli was never one of it, so I'm I'm proud and uh, proud enough that I've been able to to keep my distance from that rank substance. I I feel you. So uh, the Green Living Show is the largest eco conscious consumer show in Canada. That's how they title themselves, and there's been like such an expansion in the cannabis space uh recently that th this sure. this one was no exception so there was five interesting booths that had something to do with cannabis culture you know everything sporting everything from like vape raffles to uh you know uh medicinal pot smoking made easy Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it, listen, everybody in Canada and their mother um, is looking at capitalizing on the on the green rush. And, and you know, it's kind of cool that cannabis has its own spot in a mainstream show. Um, this is at the yeah, this is like at the uh, the major convention center in Toronto. This is not some sort of underground cottage industry show. This is this is the real deal. This is the big time. That's right. Yeah. When I said largest, I you know, it's it shouldn't be understated. And well, I mean, largest cool like natural living show could be anything from a major corporate event to like something that Susan, the tea reader, is having down in her studio. Right. This is not that though. This is the first one. Right. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh, and as I was wandering around, I noted some interesting ones, and it's funny because it's on the podcast. There um is a product that I came across called uh Milk Weeds Post sesh scent oh and like if you want to avoid smelling like uh the art teacher's room and incurring the wrath of uh maybe some non-smokers out there uh this uh sprayable sort of uh tincture is a mixture of i think it was like orange lavender frankincense oh and and something called golden jojoboa oil oh, sorry and excuse it, me excuse it, me jojoba Say it with me. Oh, thank ha you so much. Jojoba. 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 You've, you've spared me, sir. It's like, and, it's like uh, you're laughing at a hobo. Jojoba. Jojoba. There you are. Uh, and, it, it's like a, uh, and it's a product with like a rollerball for easy uh, application. And I got to tell you, um, it, it's sort of a sweet sort of mist that applies to you. Uh, it seems like it would be perfect for covering up cannabis and is a stern upgrade 
from uh, its patchouli brethren. Yeah, and probably over Febreze too, which I'm pretty sure they've recently proven causes like all a litany of um, a litany of very serious illnesses. Allegedly, Andy. Yes. Andy. Let's yes. not get the old Johnson and Johnson sued. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. I don't know. There's this. There's all this stuff going on about fragrance, which has got me. Actually, my my whole family here up in a knot around products that contain fragrance. Anyway, this is not the Eco Green Dungeon Podcast. This is indeed the opposite of that. Um, but I mean, that, listen, that's that's pretty cool. I didn't know frankincense was actually a thing. Well, yeah, it's like um, um, uh, an, an herbal thing. Okay, you know? I got you. Like now, yeah. Don't okay. ask me what myrrh is. Could you I'm could still... you make could you make a blunt wrap out of frankincense? I think it might be toxic when smoked. I mean, if you can Allegedly. do it out of yerba mate, which I'm pretty sure is toxic when smoked. Also, I think we proved that in an earlier episode. I mean, you can do it out of nightshade leaf. Like it's not going to not work in the physics department. Right. You just don't won't like how it plays out. Now, talk to me about this nightshade leaf. Slow burning? Slow burning, probably. A slow burn to an inevitable, <laughs> inevitable demise. Yeah. It'll, it'll be slow in the way that time ceases for you. Yeah. And that becomes your final moment. Maybe the slowest blunt wrap. That, that, that's probably true. And so what I noticed uh, is the common theme among, among the booths that were there is like they all seem to be designed to gently uh, massage maybe the more uh, hesitant uh, purchaser into like a friendly space with weed. They did a, a segment um, uh, on the main stage about cooking with weed and a lot of the, the cannabis dispensers there uh, that did legal mail um, cannabis, it was like cannabis decoded. Uh, mm. We we separated them into colors. The the green is low THC, high CBD. The the the, the stark red is the high potency THC. And like a lot of it seemed to be, and they did almost nearly twenty talks around demystifying pot and like bringing people into like a comfortable space with it. Right. And uh, it's kind of refreshing to be honest with you. Yeah, no, that's it's neat, and it just, you know, a lot of the way that an LP, for example, a, a licensed producer here in Canada, or even some of these mail order folks, although I don't, I can't speak to their legitimacy, but, um, you know, a lot of the way that they package and talk about their cannabis, whether it be THC percentages, and then speaking about overall applications, and and you know the way that they package cannabis so that the consumer knows what they're in for, um, it's it's pretty indicative of like. The, a how things are going to be once legalization rolls in and b um just just a really consumer friendly culture of cannabis being no different than you know any other recreational substance like alcohol for example it's it's pretty neat yeah it's a fact and speaking of bees uh one of my favorite products something that my sweet sweet lady picked up um was a uh, uh, a handmade reusable beeswax beeswax food wraps that are like a natural alternative to plastic wrap. Oh, cool. And they're good for a year. You use them. Uh, beeswax is naturally antifungal and antibacterial. And it's made by a, 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 like a husband and wife team that I'm going to choose to pimp out. Uh, they're, they're called Sweet Green Studios. And you can get them online. Uh, a 10-pack was, was affordable. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Because aside from this smelling divine and looking pr pretty for the lady folks, it's also... Uh, pretty easy to use. Have you ever had like a full-on knockdown drag out with saran wrap? Oh man, hundred percent. I've I've literally uh, fought with cling wrap to the point where I've sliced my hands open on that fucking little ridge. You know what I'm talking about? 
Oh yeah, like, like bleeding, this cling like wrap, full on, full on massacre. This cling cling wrap came to actually battle and will leave you with wounds because it's packing a blade. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's no the kidding. rated edge. <laughs> the so, amount of home, uh, the amount of home economics that we've managed to jam in the first ten minutes of this podcast is astounding. It's special. It's a real it's special, special thing. It sounds like a, it sounds like a neat product. Um, I wonder if there's any weed application. Like, you know, I can recall back in high school getting weed balled up in a little bit of saran wrap. I feel like uh, I feel like I would have preferred to receive it in some bougie beeswax cling wrap. Can can I tell you something? What's that? I have uh, a couple nugs wrapped up in one of these containers, nice. in one of these envelopes right now, and I'm kind of pumped about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty awesome. Because I believe the beeswax will form a vapor barrier that will keep the dankness within. It will contain that dankness. Um, man, I have dipped my toes back into iOS gaming. It is a, it is a, it's been a strange, strange week for me. I've not had a lot of time to really get into anything. And so what I'm finding is most of my gaming time has been uh, on the subway, which is a, which is a tough spot because you can't really whip out the switch on the subway. Um, you know, it's a little too crowded. I don't really want to be dropping that guy. So I've just, I've tried to find something that I could really enjoy on my phone. And I've stumbled across a game called Death Road to Canada. Have you ever heard about this guy before? Oh, I've gone way deep in the, on that particular road of peril. Oh, you're kidding me. Okay, I didn't know that you'd played it before. It's it's a spectacular game. So, you know, here's the thing. I've, I played iOS gaming when I originally got my... I, I played the iOS gaming, but like I, I really enjoyed um, iPhone games when iPhone first came out, right? Up to the point yeah. where like Flappy Bird was a thing. I was all in on iOS games. And for some reason, there's there's like two, three years ago, I just I just could not bring myself to engage with a phone in a way that I'm like trying to simulate button presses by touching a flat monitor. There's something about it, despite the fact that there have been plenty of advances in, you know, how an iPhone game plays and the aesthetics of it and, you know, the the depth of a system, I still have a really hard time wanting to, to jump in. And then I go ahead and grab Death Road to Canada and all that changes in like a second. It is such a cool game. So you, you've played a little bit about it. What'd you think about it? Oh, it's a great game. Uh, huge replayability. Definitely harkens back to the old favorite Oregon Trail. Oh, and yeah. And the, up the updated iOS game Oregon Trail. Um, but it's, you, like you say, it's, it's a fantastic game right down to the mechanics and the random chance. The pixel art is amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, I really like the pixel art that did it for me. Um, so basically, you know, you're you're jumping in the the seat of like some dudes in Florida, at, and they, they're all randomly generated, which I love. Anytime a game gives me like randomly generated characters, I'm automatically in a little bit. You know what I mean? Because especially, you know, this is kind of like a roguelike. I think I would call it because you're you're constantly dying, you're losing your game, and you're starting from scratch. And you, yeah. you've got a situation where you're you're like hitting the randomized button sixty times and ending up with just a really cool, characterful little pixel character to drive from Florida to Canada. Um, and then, of course, the, the twist is that everywhere between is absolutely dominated by zombies. And so it's cool because there's like it's a mix between running around a map and shooting zombies while you're trying to salvage like shotguns and gear and food uh, mixed with like a simulator for um, your road trip, including, you know, making sure you have a vehicle and making sure you have gas and finding little settlements of people to trade with on your way. So it is it is quite uh, it is quite a fun little little romp. And you, you end up going like 15, 20 minutes deep before the game, you know, inevitably what will happen is 
One of your partners will die. This, this is what I find usually ends up happening. One of your partners will die and you'll barely make it out with your life. And then the next place you go, maybe it's an abandoned grocery shop or something like that. The difficulty seems to have gone up quite a bit. Maybe that's because your partner's gone or maybe that's because the game, you know, I, I keep hitting the same wall in the game. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a horde of zombies. You get dragged into the middle of it and just and just crumped. And I don't know what is so satisfying about dying in this game. But every time my, my character goes down, it's a, just a little bit of a fist pump. Do you know what I mean? Is that sick? Is that a weird, is that a weird affliction? I mean, the inevitable demise is marked by that very, like, uh, a deep baritone oh. of the zombies. Yeah, you're just, like, begging this game to kick your ass. And I think that's, it's, you're like, ah, oh, the game kicked my ass again. It's a really strange phenomenon. But for some reason, it really works. Like, Here's the thing, the actual mechanics of walking around in an isometric kind of top-down view of you and your character kind of making his way through randomized or sorry, randomly generated locations and grabbing shotguns and shooting zombies or whatever. That gameplay loop is fun, but the actual atmosphere and the and the idea of the game m- takes it from like a novel idea to something really enjoyable. It's the, it's everything, the fiction, it's the, it's the simulation, it's the impending sense of doom and the, and the way that you go down. Like one of my favorite stories is I roll into, I don't know, some whatever hotel or something like that. And there's these two skeletons randomly walking around and it turns out you can recruit those guys. They're not like zombies. So I recruit these two skeletons and I'm sitting there with my partner and we're, we're, we're like, you know, I almost, it was almost like, have you seen the walking dead? I have. Right. So The Walking Dead, you've got that that one girl who has the two zombies chained up or whatever. She's like a ninja. I was like, this That's is right. badass. This is my role right now. And not two seconds later, I walk into the next room. Both of my humanoid characters get just mauled to death. And now the rest of my game is played just as the two skeletons. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was just like just a crazy game. So yeah, I've, I've definitely been enjoying that. Did you spend some, like, did you beat it or... Yeah, yeah. So front to back, and as you beat it, you unlock interesting modes. You can unlock a mode where it's all unique characters. So those unique characters that you find in the game that are like a, a supplement to the random characters, it's only those guys. Mm. You got the the bodybuilder. You got the evil murderous clown. Um, you got the dog. There's a lot of lot of fun there. Now the way I went about this game is I did pre made characters and I made my family members. Oh, nice. Um, you know. For sure, I made myself a kung fu expert. Uh, of course, I made my older brother the car nut. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, I made my little sister friend of dog. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I made my youngest brother the the strong silent type. And it and I put my sweet, sweet lady in there as well. She was the medical uh, gal. And it adds some, like, joy as you find your family members along the road. And then you, like, really want to do everything you can to save them. And what turned the corner for me on this game is realizing that trying to fight every zombie is not gonna work. No, you gotta run. And that's that's for sure. You gotta get the fuck you out. Gotta, you gotta make a beeline. Because there's a cool mechanic that as you swing a weapon or uh, your fists, you start to sweat and right. overheat. And as you sweat and overheat, there's a, you come to a point where you can't punch anymore. You gotta cool off. And those actions, that heat, that sweat, it attracts zombies. So the strategy for me was avoid uh weapons because it attracts zombies that that make noise so your guns 
and set everybody on a defensive. They only attack in defense and just make your way quietly everywhere. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I went I went through guns blazing pretty much every minute because it's just pretty satisfying to mow down zombies, sure. let's be real. Um, it sure is. But anyway, Death Road to Canada. couple things I like about it. A, Death Road. B, Canada. C, everything about it. So yeah, just get in there. Enjoy it. Um, mobile, so, like, go ahead. Andy, what I have to mention is there's a pretty great ending to this game. I encourage you to get to the end of this bad boy. And here, I'll drop a little secret on our listeners. The best weapon oh. in the entire game oh. are the shopping carts. Oh, there you go. There you go. Those you- shopping carts, you'll have an option for your first uh, mission take the uh the 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 grocery store every time because there's shopping carts everywhere and they will devastate zombies when thrown i love it i love it the secret shopping cart strategy brought to you by dank dam um yeah mobile gaming man it's just i don't know it's just dominating my whole gaming life right now like i'm in transit a lot but it's not even just that you know, being at home, there's just something that's so, it's just so much easier mentally to wrap my brain around the idea of sitting down with a mobile title as opposed to firing on the PS4 and grabbing a controller. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's got this, it's got this like ease of accessibility, just pressing a switch and powering back on to where you were previously, as opposed to the whole rigmarole of booting things up. And I, I realize I sound kind of lazy right now. <laughs> I'm feeling a little mm-hmm, lazy. Mm-hmm. Is that's what's coming across? But I just I don't know. I get, it's it's really doing something for me. Are, are, are you feeling One me at all? No. You're checking your email, and the next second you're playing Banner Saga, and it can happen almost ide- accidentally. And you can task switch into it. And it sounds like we might be talking to a man who's playing on on the sly. You know what I mean? Andy, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just checking my email, babe. Okay, cool. <laughs> bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, bleep, bleep, bleep. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> you get caught guilty as charged. But even with the Switch, like my big, my big game over the past week uh, has been Skyrim, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But there's just something, and I, I, I talk about it almost every episode because I'm so enamored with the mobile gaming movement. But it just it, it puts me in a place where I feel gaming is so much more accessible throughout the day, and it just it makes me it makes me a happier man. Um, you know what else makes me happy? I got a neat little piece of kit for my Vita. So I don't know if you have you have you have you held a Vita before? Yeah, I had a Vita for a time. Oh, you did. Okay, cool. Well, so. I've been wanting to play Monster Hunter in bed, right? That's that's kind of been my goal ever since I got Monster Hunter. And the reason why I went out to get a Vita, and imagine my upset when I realized that playing any game with a Vita that requires the R2 or the L2 button involves like awkwardly tapping the back of the of the handheld console. It's just about the worst experience of all time because R2 is a pretty key button in Monster Hunter, right? So you're sitting there, you're like trying to take aim or whatever it is, and you're like finger touching the back of this tiny, (laughs) tiny little console. So I went on Alibaba, and it's blowing my mind that this is not something you could just buy at a GameStop, even when the Vita was in regular kind of circulation. I went on Alibaba and got this weird little contraption. It's almost like a case for my Vita. I can slide it in, but it gives it like PlayStation handles and attaches an R2 button that taps the back of my Vita for me. So I've functionally got this like PS4 controller that has a Vita in the middle of it, and it's the coolest shit of all time. 
Like I, I feel like I could be, I could be playing uh, a, an FPS or something like that using this thing, and I would have no visible slowdown. It's pretty neat. I mean, I think out of the core, it's about not admitting that they sort of had a design failure about the device. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. You don't want to say like it's like the original Xbox controllers that were like holding a full size loaf of bread in your hand. Right. You know, it it, it was so bad they had to sort of throw in the towel and say. Yeah, those original controllers we sold you, those were whack. And, you know, just stop selling those and create a whole new line of them. The PS Vita didn't quite get there. Like, the whackness was readily apparent, uh, but it didn't live long enough to to have a solution, you know, to it. Yeah, no, I I feel you on that one. Um, And the thing is, is that, you know, for for the actual Vita titles, which is not really the reason I bought the Vita, outside of Persona 4 and Gravity Rush and a couple other notable examples... Most of those games are just merely okay. Um, but, you know, the, the streaming from your PlayStation 4 to anywhere in your house is is really a selling point. So, yeah, getting that R2 button in there has been pretty pretty sweet for me, to be honest. R2 all the way. R2-D2. Um, man, dude, let me ask you. Have, do you have any 420? 420s coming up. Do you have any 420 plans? Uh, dude, man, it's my dad's birthday. You're kidding me. He's born on. That's the, I kid that's you the, not. That's the dankest dad birthday of all time. I'd have to say. It is the dankest birthday, uh, except for one exception. Do you, Do you know who he shares a birthday with? Who's that? Uh, Adolf Hitler. No. Get yes. Get that out of here. Get that. I, I mean, listen. Come listen, on. Listen. 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 It's just a fact. It's just a fact. It's a terrible. It's not an endorsement. It's listen. I don't. I don't begrudge your facts. It's just a fact. A fact can't be good or bad. That, I mean, listen. There's saying. no. There's no shittier way to celebrate your birthday than to know that you uh, are are celebrating it in tandem with the most evil man who ever lived. I. I. Well, I mean, it, he's up there, and but I. And my dad's not that bad. I mean, I wish you wouldn't say that about him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like seriously, my father takes his birthday and puts a silencer on it. I think because he doesn't want those two facts. To like uh, dovetail together. I mean, listen, I didn't know, and I'm, I, I don't think most people would know. It's just not something like, why would you know that? Um, but I can see why. I can see why you wouldn't want people to, to draw that draw that compare. It, it sucks, man. You want to share your, hey, today's my birthday. But then again, it's also 420, so I feel like that overshadows it in a big way. Yeah, man, I feel you. And I, and I do have some dinner plans that um, do include... Um, a deep sesh, and then uh, some some food, some some delicious foods. <laughs> a deep session food is uh, is pretty much just Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I suppose we're we're gonna go we're gonna go big on it. I feel like that's the right way to go. We're gonna uh, do a little bit of a a round robin around the downtown of Toronto, picking some of our favorite little treats. Yeah, I get that, man. Yeah, Young and Dundas Square in Toronto. So I'm not sure. You know, I'm sure other major cities have have kind of areas where people congregate and do the smoke thing. But Young and Dundas Square in Toronto, which is kind of right next to the major city center mall here, um, has a pretty crazy 420 celebration every year. And it's legalization this year, so I imagine it'll be even bigger than ever. But even in years maybe. previous, asterisks, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but like over the last decade, it's been this place where you've got people setting up their selling shatter they're selling wax they're selling weed they're doing it in tents 
right? They're do, they've got dab stations going on. And like, let's all, let's all remember, this is not like a legal thing. You've got cops just walking around, not minding anybody who's smoking joints or hitting blunts or whatever. Um, it's, it's like, it's a strange, it's a strange thing that kind of collapses the, the social structure, the social contract of not smoking weed in front of like cops or in public. It's really like you, you go into 420 and it's almost like, all the rules have been suspended today. And then the next day, if you're smoking weed in Young and Dundas Square, someone's going to hit you with a ticket if they're wearing a badge, you know? Yeah. You know what? And that would probably be true in uh, past years. Like, rewind five years ago. It was super strange because the cops are going to let, let it all slide um, on that one day. And then, like you say, the next week, if you're, if you're blazing down on your way to the subway, um, it's not going to work out for you. However, I mean... In Toronto, in the last 365, you'd have to work really hard to get a ticket for weed. Like, hard, hard. Yeah, you'd have to, like, light a car on fire. I mean, maybe we don't start with light a car on fire. but <laughs> Yeah, probably not a bet. If that car was made out of zigzags. There you go. That's it. Yeah, you'd have, yeah. You'd have to do something specifically egregious, like smoke, I don't know, three pounds of weed in the middle of oncoming traffic after lighting a car on fire. I feel like that's the only, yeah, the only move. Uh, earlier in the last uh, in the last year and a half, the the equivalent of the Attorney General of Canada uh, basically said, "Hey, my dudes, my my sweet police officers, do us a favor: no more pot stuff, because we're trying to put murderers and rapists in jail, and we're having to let those guys go because uh, you're clogging up the courts with marijuana stuff, and we just don't need it." And they got they got the point blank: stop this! It's not it's not helping anyone it's at not all. Productive. You're wasting everyone's time. Yeah, and then they went. Uh, okay <laughs> and so it just stopped <laughs> yeah absolutely and then they had to roll it back a little bit to do all those dispensary raids but it, it seems like that's where most of the ire from like toronto police force goes towards towards shutting down gray market uh, dispensaries um but yeah anyway it's a good time to be a torontonian and uh we're gonna we're gonna probably hit up young and dundas square and finish up at, a, at an old favorite rocharama i don't know if you've been rocharama yeah rocharama is an institution man it's uh it's you know a cannabis cafe functionally they don't sell anything cannabis related there but they'll rent you bongs and stuff like that and they've got a badass patio and Ever since, I mean, shit, the early 2000s, I can remember rolling out there, um, getting some Mexican food in Kensington Market. It's this real bohemian spot uh, in Toronto. And, you know, you, you jump into Rocharama, people are rolling joints on the table. You know, they're smoking weed out back. Everyone's hanging out doing dabs and just having a good time. Uh, and this was really strange to witness back in the early 2000s, obviously. Um, but nowadays, it's just, a, it's just a good, good time, you know? Have you yeah, been? Yeah, absolutely. Undoubtedly, you've been, yeah? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, we've gone, rented uh, some vaporizer action, played some Scrabble, and uh, I, I remember the first couple times we went in the early 2000s, it, like, there was like a deep-seated fear, like I'm just waiting for somebody with some authority to kick a door down and and uh, arrest everyone, yeah. like it was, uh, like it was a, a speakeasy in the 20s, but uh, it, over time, you get a little bit more comfortable with it, and it's a good time, it's a good spot to, to stop. Uh, and uh, have a couple, have a couple tokes. Yeah, I saw a guy uh, smoke a joint as big as a baseball bat there, which was kind of interesting. Oh, nice! I saw Snoop Dogg do that once. Pretty interesting thing. Um, they used to have a, they used to have a used video game store next door too, Iceman Video, uh, which I guess is gone now. Unfortunately, it's closed down per Yelp. Uh, 
So, Iceman uh, video games. Sorry to see you go, but um, you know, I think that was the the place that I bought my first uh, used Super Nintendo game. So I uh, I've got a soft spot for it. I was high as hell too. You uh, wish you saved that salute, eh? I wish I saved that salute. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And uh, what do you what do you think, Dan? Now for our sponsors. Yeah, let's jump into the sponsors. Let's jump into our sponsors. This episode of Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by. Weed and video games. Weed and video games, thank you for being there for us from episode one to episode, this episode, 16. Uh, Weed and video games, you've been there for us. One of these days, we'll replace you with some paying sponsors, but until then, let's keep getting groovy. Um, Purple Dungeon Squid also brought to you by your uncle's K-Car. The only vehicle that's worth more after it's rolled six times. <laughs> So true. I had an uncle with a K car. Only as good as the LMNO car. (laughs) Um, Brought to you by Eating Straight Caesar Dressing. Because you ran out of pizza, but you still want to have a good time. Oh, yeah. Brought to you by Spilling Your Weed on the Carpet. Ever wonder what your dog's hair tastes like? Spill some weed on the carpet. Oh, man. Vape it all day. Um, Brought to you by Medicinal Leeches. They suck, but in a good way. Blood. You're getting really good at this thing, Dan. Good for you. Uh, and finally, brought to you by blowing in a game cartridge. Really the only wholesome way to blow an Italian plumber right in the back end. Oh, Jesus. If you want to actually sponsor the show, feel free to email us at purple. And you know you do. Gmail at pur- pur- purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Want to go with that one again? PurpleDungeonSquid at gmail.com. Until then, you've got to put up with all of this explicit nonsense. And there's even after, there's a good chance I'll never stop. Uh, there's a very good chance. Cloudy with a chance of bullshit. All righty then, my good Dan. Good, good, good. Hey, what have you uh, What have you been playing, pal? What have you been picking up and putting down? Uh... Something has taken hold of my PlayStation uh, 4 and uh, not relented. It's it sort of snuck its way into the disk drive, and I haven't been able to pry it out since. And uh, that's Far Cry 5. Oh, the old FC5. Actually, um, I threw up the photo you took on uh, on the gram today. It's getting a little bit of love, that Far Cry 5 shot. Now, let me ask Shucks. you before you before you get into the game, is there a reason why there's a bottle of bourbon <laughs> in that photo? Well, buddy, it's it. What it bourbon is an an American institution. Yes, and I know we're talking Montana and not Kentucky, um, but uh, it, it's just a good fit. You got your bourbon, you got your buddy Jesus, you got your your blaze it, and you got your Far Cry. Yeah, weed, bourbon, and Jesus sounds about uh, sounds about right. So the setting of Far Cry Five, in my estimation, is is one of the most ambitious because, uh, you know, in, in every other release. Um, you've been in a highly fictionalized place, uh, although the region is probably identifiable, jungle or uh, um, Africa. This is the first one that goes, hey, now we're in a Montana and we're dealing with religious zealots, the the rise of a cult. Oh, and I, I see. <laughs> when I heard this, I was like, oh, that's a lot. Risky. That's like that's kind of a touchy thing to, to jam a triple A title video game out with. Yeah, and I and I was kind of I was kind of transfixed at how that was going to go. Rated R and, for religious, and I think that they had um, decided on that direction like four and a half years ago. So it it predates 
uh, what's been going on politically in the U.S. Um, but you can, as you play the game, they don't really pull any punches on the at, at the alt right. There's a, there's quite a few swings at them, which you know, depending on where you land, uh, you may love that, you may hate it. Sure. Um, but this game pulls no punches in a lot of areas. You know, as soon as you jump into the, oh, and Andy, have you played Far Cry? Any of them? I haven't. In fact, Far Cry is one of those titles that I've actively avoided just because of the box. Like to, yeah. to me, it's always looked like kind of a vapid shooter, just like a just like a whatever one of those titles that I mix between Far Cry and you know X Y Z shooter. Can't tell the difference. Yeah, and you know what? I kind of know what you mean. It, I I always kind of missed. Uh, playing these games they just never made it into uh, my console for whatever reason and one of the, when I picked this game up one of the reasons that I picked up the anniversary edition or uh, uh, played paid the extra amount was that it came with uh, Far Cry 3 oh, so I can neat. roll back and, and play that after we're through here but to, to boil it down um, there, and I hope sorry I don't mean to interrupt but there, there's one of them that's that's widely regarded as like a masterpiece I think I, I heard that on the Giant yeah. Bomb podcast I don't know if it's three or four I imagine they package the anniversary edition with like the best other one right I there's like a bunch of mechanics that we're into that they brought back in this game that that played very well and I feel like three is the pinnacle now that's coming from a guy that hasn't played it but I saw a lot of 8.9s for Far Cry 3 so um we'll we'll see I'll circle back from that I'll let you know but to boil it down um Far Cry is two things uh it's an outpost taking game uh, you know, there's these bastions of enemies and you kind of have to take them down. And the, I, my understanding is through all the titles, the game kind of offers you different ways to do this. And the other one is you're always kind of fighting uh, the swell of some great evil. Oh. Um, and that and there's no there's no exception here. Um, it's like and that. it's like it's open world a little bit, too, right? So this one's the most open world I understand. They kind of and they get, you get to it really quick. That they drop you in your sheriff's deputy trying to serve a warrant. Uh, mild spoilers, and it, uh, it doesn't go great. Um, and I you know I won't say too much, but you're sort of uh, set loose uh, into the world at the center of this uh, county, Hope County, uh, and left to your devices. I found myself in the very early moments of the game running from gunfire and dogs and scrambling to find anything that could be considered a weapon. Right. Uh, the first thing I found, a tree branch. Oh, yeah, that's the uh, the weapon of champions. Um, it's not like when you say outpost taking game, the first thing that comes to mind is like Shadows of War, like the uh, the Shadow of Mordor sequel. Um, I, I, got, yeah. I don't know if you've played it, but is it, does it, is that kind of what you mean? Like you're rolling around and, and taking bases from enemies kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, in, in so many words, like it, it is an open map. So basic, the basic thrust of the game is uh, the open world map is mostly blank when you start uh, save for the regions you have the regions outlined which are um, there there's a main enemy um, that deals with this the seed family and they've given rise to a religious cult called uh, something at Eden's gate sure, gotcha Ooh, I wish I could remember Eden's but they call them gate. Peggy's in the game Peggy's um, and uh, Peggy's someone right? had a shitty aunt Peggy let me just say that it's possible yeah there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of anger from the youth there and it's, it's split up. The territories are given to his lieutenants that each represent uh, their brothers and sisters, although not all by blood. They represent different aspects 
of the cult. One is a militaristic wing that's about calling the weak. One is like a, a, a self-help wing, uh, you know, where you have like a silver tongue, just say yes kind of figure. And uh, the third one is a, a lady by the name of Faith, and uh, she's all about manufacturing a drug called Bliss. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, pretty fascinating stuff. Um, but you kind of dropped into this expansive space with almost no information. What I loved about this is that as you move through uh, and decide a direction to go in, uh, you know, I found myself coming across um, some of these cultists that have a civilian on his knees and they're talking about executing him. And I'm like, wow, what an interesting event. I wonder how they put this in my path. And I went and freed him. And he told me, I think, about uh, uh, an apple orchard up the way and uh, somebody's dog. And I was like, and then I have a marker on my map. And then another marker. And I was like, oh, wild. So I I followed this kind of natural uh, grapevine style discovery to kind of blaze my own trail. And what I found was there's these little moments all over the game and they're not planned. Something that Far Cry is always doing to its like detriment or to its great victory is there's always a lot going on. Right. Which means two things. Two things. I'm stumbling across roadblocks and and people up to all kinds of no good. But also, when I'm fishing, sometimes a plane just crashes into a a mountain beside me and then a bear mauls me while five guys fight over a van full of prisoners. And it's like, okay, there's a lot happening right now. So, like, I was like, ho hum until I was like, oh, base taking, got you, religious cult, meh. And now random airplane crashes and bears has my attention. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> this, this, sounds, this sounds pretty good. Oh, I mean, and the game has a lot of heat going for it. It, it is really a rush to do just about everything, especially in the first 15 hours where everything's brand new. Uh, you know, following this path, I rescued a dog that was about to be executed by these cultists. And, may, and it'll be no surprise to you two things. I went the stealth path immediately because that's kind of my jam. That's kind of your jam. And that's kind of my jam. And uh, this dog became one of my allies, one of my permanent specialists. And this is so up my alley. I'm a big uh, Fallout fan, and I love Meatbag. And uh, he's right dog up meat, there. So, dog meat, bro. Oh, yeah, dog meat. Sorry, not Meatbag. Come on now. That's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like dog meat's your boy. Meatbag is like when he's been a bad dog meat. You know what I'm saying? I feel you. I feel you. Um, you know, so we we rolled around the countryside, and, and having him on on your team really opens the the strategy up. It kind of takes it forward a full notch because now he's marking enemies on your map, so you can be a little bit more strategic when you take them down. Yeah. That, um, so sorry, the the dog and like, are you? Can you take control of of your companions or whatever? Or are you just playing as a first person kind of shooter guy, or is it third person over the shoulder? No, first person. First person, gotcha. And, and you're like directing him or, or are you jumping into the dog's So skin? he'll do his own thing and you can send him to a location or a signal for him to attack someone or or signal for him to follow you. Oh, cool. I mean, like, you know, it's funny because you, you, you know, you relate how you stumbled across this ally. And I got to say, if you ever want to make a group of villains extra shitty in a video game, go ahead and uh, go ahead and put them at odds with it with a gentle animal. You know, go ahead and, yeah. and put them in a position to execute a puppy. You get you get your yeah. you get your bristles up in a hurry in that moment. Yeah, you you pull a John Wick and and you you have the bad guys kill the dog. Um, 
this and the game continues in this fashion that you know you're we're liberating outposts we're talking to people we're getting missions and you're getting more allies and there's nine named allies in the game all with kind of different vibes to them um you know one's a pilot and uh, he'll trail behind you and it creates some real fuck yeah moments here driving and you have trucks with uh, 40 cows or 50 cows on the back shooting at you and your ally swoops in and drops a bomb on one of these trucks and it goes spiraling over your head as you drive under it that's a special as a special moment and it's it's not scripted you know these things kind of just happen now that said um the, it can go horribly wrong to your allies put you put themselves in harm way arms way they will run across your your field of fire and you you find you've just domed both of your allies <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's nothing that like screams america like uh, like an action movie scene like that um i i, I gotta be honest like this sounds really neat because normally the this this normally the scripting part of what you just described is what makes it not so much fun for me, right? You know, Grand Theft Auto comes up for me because that's a game where you can get up to some havoc and some mayhem. You can bring some arms to bear. You can have some unique and exotic, uh, you know, uh, vehicles, whether it be a helicopter or, or what have you, um, involved in your spectacular car chase. And you can have some crazy moments like that where things are exploding all over the place, and you can just sit there and bask in the chaos when you're talking about a mainstream triple a um shooter you know i've i've had enough on rails experiences to know that they're not what get me excited if you know what i mean um everything from call of duty all the way on forward and this sounds this sounds uniquely interesting because there is that um there is that off the cuff element that's that's cool i like that and 90 percent of the game plays out like that um you know and, and it really does sort of set you loose into the environment. Um, you know, you can, the whole point of each area is to build up enough quote unquote resistance points against these lieutenants to basically trigger a final showdown against each lieutenant. And then finally the, the father, Jacob, mm, no, it's not Jacob. Yeah. Anyway, the leader of this cult, uh, the head seed. And you can either do that by taking out outposts doing side missions, or just like doing uh, activities as they come to you on the road, like um, freeing prisoner vans or blowing up um, capture parties. Uh, you know, you can really go about this any any way you like. That's neat. Uh, and they've designed the progression path in a similar way. Like there are no trees per se. Every skill that you can pick up is kind of standalone, and you pick them up by picking up skill points in the game through prepper stashes and magazines and completing little challenges like uh, skinning elk or uh, catching this fish or blowing up people with a flamethrower 10 times. And the game's pretty get generous with these skill points and you plunk them wherever you want. So yeah, it gamifies the progression a little bit. That's cool. I like that. Um, anything that yeah. encourages ex- exploration in like a, a title like this sounds sounds like it's right up my alley. Um, but the game is the g- game is finite, right? Are there... Like, is, are they expanding it or is it, is it just kind of a standalone thing? There's two expansions coming. Uh, I have not, I've not looked oh, too okay. far into them. Um, they came, I, I got already the announced path. That's crazy. Yeah. they they come, are they, they, uh, have them on a card inside the case of the game. Oh. And I think one's an aliens one and one's a zombies one. Don't, don't quote me on that. I, oh, I'm, I'm anxious okay. to take a look at that. So, uh, um, but it's like, it's like a, like an ancillary kind of, you know, different experience. It's not a direct expansion to the game in that it's like giving you a new area or something or a new storyline. 
so I, I'm just to put a, a fine point on it. I think that the cult storyline will end and a new storyline will, will take place there where it happens. I'm not sure. Um, you know, speaking a little bit about this, because we're going to talk about it a little bit further in the podcast, there is monetization in this game. Oh, okay. And you can buy silver to buy the weapons and the vehicles in the game, uh, you know, that you can also unlock finding money in the game. And so far in modern monetization, it's one of the best um, gentle monetizations I've ever come across. Oh. I never felt like I was being suppressed, like the economy was suppressed to make me buy silver. And you can even buy, find silver in the game whenever you take an outpost that there's a, 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 a vault, uh, a safe that has cash in it and some silver. And silver is the thing that you exchange, you buy with real money. Um, and every item in the game can be bought with cash or silver. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's Ubisoft, right? Um, so, you know, yeah. I actually had a similar experience with their monetization of Assassin's Creed Origins. It's just, it's they're not super aggressive about it. And the thing is, is most of their games are kind of closed loop. You know, they're exclusively single player or the multiplayer component is kind of... Um, you know, it's downplayed. It's not the main. It's not the main event like a Battlefront Two or like a, like a Destiny, right? So you know, it it feels appropriate, and they also do a great job of kind of putting it in front of you and dangling the carrot, but making it totally not required. Yeah, so true. And if I really wanted it, like if that was my thing, I like to buy you know items and games you can do it i think you get a pretty good bang for your buck but i never felt held back by it and and so it's actually one of the ones i give the gentle nod to nice um you know one of the other high points of this game and i gotta mention it is clutch motherfucking nixon clutch i'm sorry cabin pressure gone what is clutch nixon who is Clutch Nixon, you ask? He is the uh, <laughs> resident yeah, stuntman <laughs> of Hope County. Now, long past, he's, he's left us, I believe, uh, because they always speak about him in the past tense. But he, there are missions strewn around Hope County, and they're all outrageous stunts. Nice. You find these little pedestals that are firing fireworks off that has a, a, a monument to Clutch Nixon inside them. And when you examine them, an eagle screams at the screen and an explosion happens and some wailing guitars lift up and some ridiculous <laughs> story starts where it's like clutch nixon created a wingsuit comprised entirely out of beaver pelts and his own foreskin okay he claims the uh wolf blood that he'd been imbibing for weeks is the only thing that saved him from the ball of fire that he was ignited into as he careened down the mountain and then it puts you in the seat of clutch nixon and you're you flying a wingsuit down the the side of a mountain through um sort of uh, uh uh pilot wing style rings uh while uh, uh a wailing metal song sings the uh tales of clutch nixon and that's it's incredible it's everything you need no that's a yeah they, they've injected a little america fuck yeah i, I appreciate that oh a hundred percent. So um, the one thing I'm most interested about in this game, because it's gotten a lot of heat, is the co-op. Um, I, I, so from what I understand with the co-op, you can drop into someone else's game and act as one of their allies, I believe. But there's no... like The, the thing I'm hearing is that there's no progress for the people who are joining the, the host. So like you're jumping in and you're doing the co-op thing, but it's not actually advancing your story at all. 
So it's a wonderful moment. Uh, you know, my buddy Jordan drops in my game unannounced. I hadn't really considered co-op. And there he's standing there, and it looks like Jordan. And, you know, he's wearing a sick outfit. And I don't even know what I'm wearing. I think I'm wearing some farmer clothes. And, you know, it makes me run to the, the outfitter immediately and, you know, buy a silver jacket, some aviators, put on a silvered mullet, and uh, get to work. I like that you're um, the kind of friends that, that dress up for each other. That's nice. That's a nice thing it's not pretty. to lose that magic like in a, a relationship. That's it. That's it's good. like a date. That's how you keep things That's right. fresh. Mm-hmm. Entirely. So the, the here's the rub. You can inv- advance your story. It's like you are one of the hired guns, one of the specialists we were talking about. And you can have up to two of those guys. And I think the parties, you can go up to six people in your co-op. Now that said, you can av- advance the story, but you can complete the challenges that right. give you skill points. If you find uh, anything you pick up in the game in the way of money or magazines that give skill points, you get those too. So you advance, you just don't advance the story. And, you know, I wish we could have jumped in at moment one and both pushed through the story. And I think probably one of the challenges is uh, if you hop in somebody's game, you don't know where they are and you don't, I guess, risk completing stuff in an area that you've barely unlocked and yeah i get get it no i get it and it sounds like the the co-op is really more there for like the mucking around and you know truth be told i never played grand theft auto 5's uh um multiplayer but you know that's something that i always wished back in like gta 3 you could have a buddy drop in on 2p and just go around causing havoc with each other and it sounds like that's kind of what this is for like you you jump in you maybe do some achievements or whatever to unlock skill points but by and large you're not you're not playing from moment one all the way on through the game you're just you're dropping in to have a good time and i have to say it is an incredible time rolling around the countryside and blasting uh blasting folks uh you know it, it is really fun like three hours just zoomed right by and nice. and uh it is one of the the high points of the game a couple sticking points for this that they really get uh dank dan down in the dumps right. is this is one of these games that has mandatory moments where you get captured oh yeah and it happens like three times per lieutenant Man, you for can- a total of <laughs> nine captures where you get captured and the lieutenant talks to you face to face and you're like wouldn't you just kill this guy who's ruining everything for you and it's it's like a concession of the game and i get it because you you got to account for a plot where a guy's running around all over the place and you got to bring it home sometime some way but literally you get to a, a level of resistance points in the area and it says hey there's a capture party on uh, on you and then you know some guys show up and you go down well the first time i was like oh, maybe i didn't do so well and uh, I'll do better next time. And it happened again. I was like, mm, I feel like I was doing all right there, but maybe not. So the third time, it's like there's a capture party coming, and I get in a helicopter, and I <laughs> and I blast off, and I'm rolling around uh, over uh, the other ridge of a tree line, and then I go and start to pass out. I'm like, oh, this is unavoidable. Yeah, that's that's a that's there's nothing that can stop that. Yeah, this is like the second game you've got saddled with that too. I think we've already had this conversation with Tomb Raider. Yeah, with Tomb Raider. And, you know, to be honest, there are some cool moments where you're getting the face-to-face um, with the uh, these lieutenants and they're talking about it. And they actually make a convincing case for why they think what they think. So, you know, it's kind of neat. Right. Um, they, you they need to give you a moment of, like, mustachio twirling so that you can get the story beats. I just... 
I don't know, man. I feel like mandatory capture, like like when you when you black out and you know, with the purpose of them showing you a um, a cutscene to advance the plot, it's just the laziest way to do that for you. There's a thousand other ways you can do that other than dashing somebody's power fantasy and drawing them into a you know a, a cutscene. You can overhear conversations. You can you know put somebody in a building and force them to kind of make their way through and hit those story beats. There's there's so many ways you can go about introducing story beats without fading to black and and hand waving away getting captured once never mind getting captured nine times so it does feel a little bit i don't know it feels a little lazy so yeah uh, montana apparently is a very dangerous place (laughs) and the hillsides are just alive with the sound of predators um which is good because the best way to get money in this game is to um, hunt animals, uh, especially if you're keen enough to do it with a bow and arrow. But with the the amount of uh, dangerous creatures in these environs, I'd probably recommend bringing along the flamethrower instead. Sure, I mean, there's no burning more, it down. No more effective way to take care of a pack of wolves than with a with a good old bit of napalm. Yeah, and this flamethrower is pretty cool, and it brings me to the propagating fire system. If you set a fire, it will spread, and it'll even burn around houses and stuff and turn them black, and it's actually pretty cool to see, Uh, except when it's killing you, and it will, and your NPCs will run into it, and they'll die, and it's hard to go get them because they're they're in a a sort of a swath of fire, Um, but, you know, there's always that. Final sticking point, my man, and and I'll, I'll close up by saying this is a great game. I really enjoyed it. I'm right about to, to finish sort of the last showdown. Um, but what I've gotten is that I'm not really influencing the plot at all. The, the, the things that I've done on the countryside, it advances the story to the final showdown. But with the kind of open world we have and the the different outposts i would love it if those outposts and these missions that i've done had actual measurable effects in the world and 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 perhaps led to a couple different outcomes i get the feeling that it's all uh, and leading to one final moment that was kind of unavoidable uh, and I would like to see the actions of the player have a little bit more impact on the world, you know? Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Um, you know, I, I feel like in any... It's it's like it's a catch-22 because you either go super wide with open world and, and you know, have to downplay the plot just a little bit. Um, and then you have this kind of emergent gameplay that you've described, but no real, no real plot thread bringing you along. Or... You know, you centralize the plot a little bit, give you the bit of that open world nature, but also, you know, you, you're going to be on rails when you want to see the high notes. And maybe there's, there's some systems or whatever to give you some branching, some branching paths to get to the end. I don't know. I don't know. I, so you're, you're telling me it doesn't do that. Yeah. And so, I mean, the game is uh, beginner friendly. It is stoner friendly, although I find it harder to shoot the cuddly animals when, when I've had a little bit of the reef. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know. But if you if you like to huff a bone, instead of doing that, you can you know admire the tall Douglas firs or fly a, a float plane around uh, craggy hills and down along streams, uh, taking the serenity of you know fields and farms or just uh, fish in some of the lively rivers. Um, it's like straight, just straight have yourself up a, a good old time. Straight up of a, a journey to Montana. Straight up a vacation yeah. within your television with a, a couple That's more right, religious just, zealots. But hey, who knows? 
just rip an ATV up a mountain and admire the the screaming bald eagles. Yeah, well, it sounds uh, sounds royal and majestic to me. Sounds royal and majestic to me. And speaking of royal and majestic, new missed that one, but um, I, dude, I've been playing Skyrim <laughs> <laughs> Skyrim for Switch, uh, as I mentioned before. And I've heard of this indie title. I've heard of Skyrim before. Nice. Um, yeah. Listen, here, this, here's here's this. let's let's cover some bases right now. I'm not gonna sit here and talk about Skyrim for too long because I think just about everybody played this game back in like. 2013 right so it's it's been a while in fact actually this game came out in 2011 that's crazy man the graphics in this game are seven years old and have you like i mean you've played some skyrim before yes uh i i have not actually played any skyrim shame shame on you right i've bought this I game i did four however times. Uh, of course i bought it I, uh, four times I, you have four separate Skyrims? Yeah, man. I've got PS3, PS4, PC, and Switch. And I don't even own a PC. So, I bought it on Steam, not knowing that I couldn't play it on Mac. <laughs> it's very available, it turns out. I didn't play any of them, but what I have watched is the entire Touch the Skyrim series from Polygon. Okay. Um, where one of the McElroy brothers... Um, plays through Skyrim and every episode he puts on a different sort of series of ridiculous mods for the game um, and it is highly uh, entertaining so if you haven't heard uh, Griffin McRoy's uh, or seen his Touch the Sky series on Polygon go check it out yeah. it's worth a look sounds like, it is a laugh riot yeah no it sounds like a, I mean listen people have been putting in strange Skyrim mods and posting that shit to Kotaku for close to a decade so if you haven't played Skyrim you at least have a, a passing understanding of what, what the game's all about but here's the thing. My sticking point with Skyrim is that I've never stuck with it beyond the first, let's call it 15 hours. And I mean, we can mm. we can talk about a theme <laughs> emerging uh, around my play style of open world games. Um, but Skyrim has always just felt so expansive after, after the initial push that I would start to wander, which is great because the game is vast and there's lots of cool shit to do when you're wandering. But then I find myself losing the urgency to come back to the game and then I lose interest, right? And so, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, I've played a lot of open world games over the past while and I'm starting to notice, I'm starting to notice that kind of theme, like whether it was The Witcher 3, for example, was a game that, that I had the same thing happen. Not that I didn't love The Witcher 3, but I got into the game, hit those really strong story beats, started doing some of the side quests, and then just lost that urgency to get back in the game. Do you ever, do you ever like, does that ever like, happen to you? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. You know, Andy, I fancy myself a little bit of an explorer, you know, so I want to seek out those, those uh, nooks and crannies and go to all the places of the world. But even stronger than that, you never heard the term beat the game? Yeah, I've heard of the term beat the game. It's not something I do often. Right. One of the things in there is, you know, beat as in best. And that's one of the, my missions is I want to make the game, uh, uh, you know, my subservient. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want to use the word bitch, but I'm going to say bitch. Yeah. And that's that's part of the quest. I want to just knuckle the game under and beat it. So, you know, that usually keeps me in the driver's seat um, through the entirety. And what I find funny about you, Andy, is... You're a man who I describe as loyal, loyal to his friends, 
you know, the people he does business with, uh, you know, certainly to his partner, but you'll kick a game out of bed, like at the drop of a hat. A couple crackers, uh, an off-word comment, and you're out. You're out. You don't even give them bus fare. No. You're just like, mm, mm, done. Done, done. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a theme for me, and, and I find it the hardest to engage with open-world games because there's so much promise there, but often, and I, and I, I really do mean Often, there's not enough moment to moment to keep me wanting to come back. Breath of the Wild is a, is a notable exception to that. Um, and you know what? Now, with a little bit of grease from the Switch being able to very easily power back into Skyrim, like it's not a sit down, grab the controller, crack a beer, wait you know, four minutes for the loading screen. Then I'm back into Skyrim. Got to figure out what the fuck I was doing. It's power my Switch back on and be exactly where I left off ready to rock and roll. And so, I mean, I've gotten hooked way back into Skyrim. The graphics, like I said, are, are seven years old, but they look beautiful on this small little screen. And there's just something, there's just something really majestic about the fact that you have this vast world in a handheld experience. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, I just, I'm still not at the point, despite the fact that the tech is already there, I'm not at the point where I equate having a vast game like Skyrim available in something other than a, like a, a traditional computer or console setup. It genuinely feels next generation, which is hilarious because the Switch is one of the, you know, is the underpowered console on the market, right? <laughs> but yes, but it's playing a seven year old game checkmate advantage switch yeah well i mean and that's the funny part about it is like we're in this strange world where tech from almost a decade ago is still sexy enough to register as like triple a right you know if you're in 2010 and you're playing a game from 2000 very different story <laughs> you know what i mean but now it's it's at the point where skyrim still looks beautiful like you'll take some moments you'll be on top of a mountain and you'll look down and there's like the setting sun you got some deer running across a clearing there's a bubbling brook nearby and that fantasy really stays put until you have to get into the combat system, which is just fucking horrific, just a dumpster <laughs> fire. Um, but it's just not good. But, you know, I mean, the, the exploration fantasy is so there and having it contained to a small handheld device is, I don't know, there's something so appealing to me about that. Um, did you ever play Morrowind? Like, have you played any of the other Elder Scrolls? You haven't played Skyrim, but anything else? Yeah, so I've been on the path, um, you know, from the original Daggerfall, which blew my mind because it's this, it felt like this huge world oh, yeah. where anything could happen. It was, it was early, like, um, too. The, it was like the offline precursor to EverQuest, where th that in itself felt like an incredible world where anything could happen. Uh, and I and I kept it up. Now my wonderment went down as we went through the series, and maybe it's because uh, I was a, a a man who was maturing into you know an adult, and I understand that the world is a set of programs. It lost a little bit of its whimsy, but I found myself, although I loved um, oh what is it, Oblivion, um, you know. I found myself when I got sent out into the world and uh, Patrick Stewart was like, make sure you take this amulet to the gate of Gablomba. I whipped that amulet into the forest, you know, and then went gallivanting off, sure. you know, to do my own thing, to never complete the main story, but get like 80 hours of enjoyment out of this bad boy. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, you know, so I had, I had a, a similar experience. Morrowind was my game. When Morrowind came out on PC, I had a, I had a bitchin' gaming rig only 
only because Morrowind had come out and I wanted to make sure that I could play the heck out of it. And I installed every mod known to man. The kind of like mod setup where you roll outside naked you know, and you're you're in a texture that's 50 times better than every NPC out there. You're like a Greek god, <laughs> right? The, the sun goes down, you turn into a vampire. You come across 50 different disparate monsters because you've downloaded every monster pack, ranging from, you know, you've got some goblins and orcs and whatever, down to like, I don't know, mechanically crawling giant robotic constructs. Too much. Too much, Too a much. little much. Um, but Morrowind was really cool because it was that sandbox. And you jump into the editor and, you know, you'd make yourself like a little base out in the woods somewhere and you'd give yourself, obviously, you know, the ring of plus 20,000 everything for that. You know, when you want to slip on a ring and just murder all of Vivek, the main city. Um, but, you know, what I loved about Morrowind was the sense of exploration that came in that game overshadowed any anything that I ever had played and probably to the same level have played since like Morrowind captured my imagination with its, with its landscape more than any other game ever has. And and I I don't know what, if it was just the combination of the right aesthetic mixed with the right kind of fiction, you know, Oblivion didn't do it for me because there was so much demon shit going on. Really hated like going through fire portals into fireplaces and doing that thing. Didn't love that. Yeah, that was a that was abysmal. Yeah, I just it was too. I don't know. Like like Morrowind. And I don't mean abyssal. Yeah, I mean abysmal. Yeah, no doubt. Morrowind felt, you know, a lot more. Um, how can I put it? A lot more isolated, man. Like you'd go from city to city. They didn't feel interconnected. You'd find little grottos and strange little temples. And there was just a charm to this game that that was mind-blowing. Also, no fast travel outside of no the- No fast uh, travel. Yeah, outside of the Silt Strider. So if you wanted to fast travel somewhere, you had to get to a Silt Strider that had the, uh, the available path for you and make your way around the country. I didn't play any of the main story in that game just rolled around exploring the land and I must have clocked easily 200 hours in that game. Easily. Which is wonderful. There's something beautiful about that. Andy, in in Morrowind, did you ever play as a dark elf? Real quick. Uh, No. uh, uh, No. So it's great. You land as a dark elf. You're on the island of Morrowind. You land and they're like, oh, you'll be welcome here. And then literally every other person in the game like cut to 20 hours of people uh, greeting you as hello outlander outlander <laughs> outlander yeah yeah there's that that all that racial discrimination um but yeah anyway so obviously not to not to harp on morrowind or on on oblivion too long but the beautiful thing about those games and about skyrim indeed is the sense of exploration the expansiveness and the Switch version has all of the expansions. I don't really know how much landmass or anything that that actually contributes. Maybe none. Maybe it's just quests and some other features. Um, but that sense of that sense of exploration is totally alive when you're playing it on this handheld console. What's not alive, though, is the same thing that's been absolutely garbage since you know more, in my opinion, anyway, since Morrowind and Oblivion, which is the combat. There is just something so flaccid about the combat in these games. It just, yeah, it just like, you know, how can I put it? You want a good turgid combat you system. You want a eh? rough and rugged combat system. But case in point, you swing your weapon. It's very hard. Here, let, me, let me bottle it up for you. Very hard 
to know where you need to be for that weapon to hit the sense of contact. Like if I swing a sword and I'm trying to hit like an undead soldier, I have no clue if I'm close enough to hit it. Like I'm very sluggish, like moving my shit around. Even if I have a fast weapon, it just, it seems like I'm doing the same really sluggish animation, but just sped up if that makes sense. And there's no weight to actually hitting anything. You just, you keep hitting. It doesn't feel like they get staggered or anything like that with any, with any degree of, realism and and you know you just keep doing that until they drop dead so the the combat is inherently unsatisfying that being said magic makes it a little bit better if you're hurling fireballs at least you know it it kind of feels a little bit less shitty than than just trying to wield a sword in that that feels like a you know a foam bat um right but yeah i mean you're not straight up you're not playing this game for the combat it is for the exploration it's for the power fantasy um yeah so i'm going to continue to explore it i definitely see this one being on my regular rotation in fact it's supplanted breath of the wild uh, which i've actually made some good progress in but it's so andy yeah a question that our audience is wondering what do you think you'll complete first? Do you think you'll complete uh, Persona 5 first or uh, the Sweet Skyrim? Right. Uh, I think I'll complete my life first. Hmm. Very esoteric. Okay, we'll just leave that there. <laughs> I, just, I, don't, I don't think that there's a point where I'm going to sink enough hours into Skyrim to see, to see the credits roll, specifically right. because the main storyline is not what I'm super interested in. I just want to, like, I just joined the Magic Academy. That happened. Yeah. And I finished off the first main story beat. You kill a dragon, you get an ability. That's cool. Um, and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to bounce out of here and go become a, a wizard. Um, you don't want to know the eventual fate of the Dova King. I just I could care less, but I do want to. I do, do want to roll around Skyrim, enjoy the sights, and you know, and and find some of those hidden hidden layers, a la Morrowind. You know what I'm saying? So having never played it, I would say that this game does the best job of like selling the mythos and the majesty of being the Dragonborn. Like they they come in in those very early moments of the game with that. 300 person Gregorian all male choir and like I it just feels like oh I'm the dragonborn like it it has that weight and I just picture you like leaning back reclining in your tavern chair you're like eh, dragonborn chickenborn motherborn let me just roll around this countryside until I get bored. <laughs> it's true, man. Speaking of that uh, all-male Gregorian choir, nothing better to listen to after you smoked a big bowl. It's it's quite majestic. And the game in, in, in and of else. itself is majestic as all hell. Um, so, you know, long story short, is it beginner-friendly? Well, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty standard first-person experience. The combat, you never really get better at, if that makes sense, because you're just you're just mashing the thing. I don't know. Maybe there's some expert Skyrim combat people out there. Hit me up if that's the case, but it feels to me like mostly it's your mashing buttons and doing things. The other thing that's not super intuitive... You know, let, me, let me pick a bone here really quickly. Here's what's not super intuitive about this game. When you level up... You get a skill point, right? A la every RPG mm-hmm. ever. But yeah. half of the skill trees are crafting skills. So what the, right. what the fuck is up with crafting skills in games? Like, why would I 
willingly be shittier at shooting fireballs now so I can go and make armor or consumables or like I don't you like level them up by doing that thing like you swing a hammer your hammers level up is that not how it works I mean maybe you gain more experience I'm talking about you're investing your skill points every time you level oh, up okay. there's like this there's a there's I don't know 50 skill trees yeah. you can go down I can choose to ah. either right now make my longsword better or I can go and like learn how to make entry level shit potions yeah, my, my stealth is hitting 99 before my tinkering hits point one. Yeah, and I just, I, so I don't, I don't really get that. And I feel like, you know, there, I haven't bumped up against the difficulty curve yet. I haven't found a spot where it's like, oh, I need to go and level up so that I can actually make meaningful progress in this game. Maybe it doesn't come, you know, maybe it's genuinely the kind of game where you can do anything. I just feel like the second that you lump the progression of crafting in with the progression of your combat it's just it, you're just you're having a tough time you know yeah those those are like church and state nary should the two meet and, and again you know I, I haven't gone deep enough on the systems over time and done any of the crafting to know really how much it impacts you maybe it doesn't maybe you do the whole crafting thing and then you get more skill points and then it's all good in the hood i just i don't know that that to me didn't feel intuitive other than that yeah i mean yeah as a beginner you're roaming around and you can't really do too much wrong and as a 420 game Oh man, find yourself the sexiest indica you've got in your cupboard, smoke it on down and uh, and just roam around enjoying the blissfully beautiful world of uh, of Skyrim now from your bed, now from your bus seat, now from your couch because it's on Switch. Any way you get it, jump right in. And speaking of any way you get it, how about uh, getting it ourselves? A little bit of a smoke sash, what are you feeling? Oh, yeah. Old Man River. All right, man, let's head over. Baby, smoke. You sash. make me crazy. Oh, you make me crazy, Dan. I feel like we had, but so- in that in that real way. Oh, in that real way. Yeah, in that genuine way. Like, Dan, you're making me in that fucking crazy. In that murderous way. In the way that it's safe that there's like distance separating us. Yeah, it's always a good thing. And you know what? I wish we were in the purple dungeon squid layer, uh, like we were when we started this podcast. We've been doing all of these yeah. episodes remotely and it's I'm, I'm missing your missing your presence, but you know, for the sake of our audio quality, I guess I guess it's a sacrifice we'll have to make. Well, buddy, the premier Pomplamoose is missing you as well. Oh, Master Chief. Um, dude, I, I feel like that was a lot of information. Like, we, we talked about those games for a while. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we got to mm-hmm. temper that with a little bit of nonsense. I feel like you could recreate the games we just talked about, like, via our descriptions. Yeah, exactly. We've just, we've just channeled them forth from the third earth. <laughs> it's just, they're, they're, they're erupting forth from our podcast. And I got I to gotta be honest, there's, like, 20 far cry facts that i omitted oh wow there's lots to talk about yeah. i feel like you could play our podcast backwards and that would be all the code to far cry 5 but yeah i mean uh i think now is weed weed time it's a weed time yet yeah it's the perfect time <laughs> okay. to, to smoke some Be perfect time perfect time oh so what do you have for us today daniel why don't you tell me about your nug your proud nug 
Well, I found myself bereft of unique strains. I have all have smoked everything there was to be smoked that I've already told you guys about. It's all been exposed and laid bare. So I, I went a knocking on my, my excellent neighbor. Um, uh, the neighbor uh, we'll plug. Call him, yes, we will call him uh, RM. And, uh, and I said, kind sir, may I levy some of your dankest herb? And, and he handed me a bud as he's uh, often given me like a cup of sugar. And uh, what I've drawn forth is some death bubba. I mean, that's, that's amazing for a couple reasons. The cup of sugar notwithstanding, because that is, that is the ultimate neighbor to hand you a nug on your doorstep. But it's even better to say, please, sir, do you have a nug you could spare? And he comes back and goes, yeah, I've got one for you, Dan. It's some death bubba. <laughs> do you have a nug for my humble podcast, please, sir? I have not a fresh strain to speak about. Buddy, Death Bubba yeah. sounds like a chapter master for those Hells Angels. That is a, it's a it's, crazy name. It sounds like one of the specialists you pick up in Far Cry that has only a flamethrower. I feel like it's the name of the breakout indie title uh, of 2020, Death Bubba. It's the triple strength chewing tobacco they've banned in 49 states. Oh, man, and it tastes a little bit like pink bubblegum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If pink bubblegum was mixed with arsenic and castor oil. Ugh, not what you want, but maybe a little bit of what you want, but not what you want. But maybe a little bit, but not what you want. <laughs> okay. Tell me about your death, Bob. I got some champagne, some champagne kush on ice. <laughs> You're literally smoking the opposite of what I'm smoking. Yeah, no kidding. I got a little bit of that. Uh, oh, what's that? What's uh, God? I've lost it now. What's the name of that very popular Bruno Mars? Got a little of that pink champagne going on. <laughs> That's what I like. That's what I like. Yeah. Couldn't summon Bruno Mars. Couldn't summon Bruno Mars. I, 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 it's, it's disrespectful how many names I had to go through to land on Bruno Mars. Players, put your rings up in the air. Yeah, doing all that stuff. Doing all that stuff. You want to do your little nug analysis? Because I'm, I'm dying to hear about Death Bubba. Okay, so let me get a nose on this. Um, okay, so this is a dark, dark, dark nug. One of the darkest that I've ever um, reviewed on the podcast. And I, I'm trying to decide if it's like, it's so dark, it's hard to tell. But it looks like we got like a dark green in terms of the leaf and the bud appears to have little hints of purple and orange through it. Is it dark? It is quite dark. Even the stem is pretty dark. Like, it doesn't lighten up at any point. It's kind of like um, trying to peer uh, into the aperture of a black hole. It returns very little. Um, but as I, I get a little snoot full of it, it makes itself known with kind of like a, a pungent sort of earthy fuel smell. Right. And if I give a little a little short machine gun scent, there's a little bit of a trickle of a sweet there, and uh, maybe the maybe the bubba part. Although I don't know what a bubba is particularly. It sounds oh, delicious, it though. Yeah, and actually, as I turn the bud upside down and and sniff it sternly in its in its posterior, it's that's starting to recite the Lord's prayer in reverse. Oh, please stop. Uh, you're going to ruin this for me. <laughs> uh, your, excuse me, sir. Yeah, your your bud is growing horns. Right. Um, so 
it does have the sweetness. I, I, I do think I've, I have an especially dank nug. I'm a little bit worried. And my neighbor um, is an, an avid smoker, and he was complaining a little bit. He goes, you know, I, I, it's not as potent as they, they said it was. And I, you know, I, I really had, uh, I've been asking for some real killers. So I think this might be a, a hog situation. Yeah, all over again. that's that's the kind of scenario where you've got a man who's who's engendered such a tolerance for the uh, for the herb that um, pretty much anything is going to disappoint and uh, you've stumbled upon his uh, his whatever his B weed which for us is not just a weed but AAA plus diamond super black diamond ultra level weed it's very true and I I, I let him know I advised him that you know given a, a, a week or two off um, you're your uh, tolerance will return to near normal or original values, and and he advised me to mind my own business. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like those uh, I like those tips there, Dan. Uh, why don't you just uh, kindly fuck right off, and um, we uh, can go back to great. being friends. Did you fuck straight off. Can you That'd just be fantastic? Yeah, that, that pussy shit sounds nice, but get the fuck out of my apartment. And don't come back until you grow a set of nads. <laughs> You know, um, like, let's be direct. A, a pussy is one of the strongest things that humanity ever came up with. And I won't go through why. We can all picture it. But, it, you know, it, it, it sends children forth and all those things. But there's something especially, like, uh, stopping. Like, it stops me in my tracks. If somebody's like, why don't you just hit the bong? Pussy. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh yeah, it gives you it gives you just a little extra hutzpah, and you you will dive in. It is the secret button to activate, uh, you know, man's fragile ego. You will dive in, yeah. and you will regret it. It's the equivalency of like Marty McFly being called a chicken. Like I probably might race Biff, and it yeah it just exposes our, our fragile ego. Oh yeah, yep. It's like oh yeah. Well, I mean, listen, you know, sometimes you got to be a man, and most of the time that's a bad idea. Yeah, factual. So, uh, tell us a little bit about the the nug you're sporting there, sir. So my uh, my champagne is a much lighter affair than your than your death nug, um, than your <laughs> than your death star of a of a cannabinoid Can over there. Can we trade? Is that a possibility? Yeah, Can we do a little weeds. But if we were in person, I would simply take the death bubba, put it in the I don't know the Pandora's box that that needs burning as well as burying beneath the deepest crypt of Skyrim, uh, and you know share with you a little bit of my champagne. But being that we are many miles apart. That's not an option. So I'm going to go ahead and enjoy this beautiful, fruity-looking nug. It's it's nice, small, you know, pretty compact. Um, it's got a little bit of a yellowy tinge to it, not in a sickly way, but in a bright, lemony-looking kind of way. Um, we got some nice, fancy little trichomes dancing across its beautiful leaves. I got an aroma of citrus coming off this, first and foremost. Sweet citrus. It smells light. I can almost feel the little pops of champagne bubbles in my nose, and that is the girliest Ooh. review you're ever going to get out of me. Effervescent. Uh, effervescent. It just seems like a fun time. It's like something you can get together with the girls and just have a like a just a little toot, just a little nice one. Oh, just a nice one. Um, yeah, no, it's it's nice. I want to put it in a flute and drink it. Um, but ladies' night, ladies' night, boys' night, um, boys' night, boys' night. Um, yeah, so champagne is smelling pretty nice. I'm gonna crack it open here. Um, not not a super fudgy, not a super fudgy nug. A little bit. Uh, it's got a little bit of dryness to it, but it seems jolly. It seems like a jolly strain. And again, on the nose. Yeah, I mean, again, just just straight straight citrusy. Um, 
I like a, a nice round citrus sweetness, not too not too lemony, not too sour. It's just got you know, it's like it's like faintly sniffing the the outer skin of a lemon uh, while while someone right. gently rubs some honey across your tongue. Ooh, yeah, I feel like your nug says like, let's like, who wants to go dancing? And my nug is like, y'all bring a shovel. <laughs> Uh, that's incredible Um, I once bought some hash oil many 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 years ago from a uh, from a hell's angel named Boog his name was Booger (laughs) don't don't say his name again I'm invoking Booger here but I feel like I feel like Booger smokes exclusively death Bubba I feel like that's his thing yeah probably yeah it's like uh, uh, whereas uh, champagne is wearing a, f- a fun cocktail dress. Um, Death Bubba has a, a headband that is comprised almost entirely of wolf murals and sweat. Sure, sure. There's a little bit of dried blood. It's uh, yeah. Well, Oof. enjoy smoking that oh. one down. It's, I'm sure this is going to take you to a very happy place. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. You're gonna start. Okay, you're gonna start you reciting Edgar, Allen, Edgar Allan Poe again for us, Dan. Wonderful. Um, I'm gonna while you uh, smoke on that. I'm gonna tell us a little bit about uh, what Leafly has to say about Champagne Kush. All right, here we uh, go. In the stern voice of Jeremy. Irons. Oh, Jeremy, are you back again? What is Champagne Kush? Champagne Kush is an indica dominant hybrid that offers a variety of attributes suited to different tastes and ailments. With a pleasant and palpable weight on the limbs coupled with a heady, thoughtful mind, this strain adapts to the consumer's needs with dosage. On the lighter end, expect a headier trip with mood-enhancing effects that generally lead to a sense of well-being. But with continued consumption, this strain can lead to a weighted body and mind that feels meditative (laughs) At its core. Oh, so this takes me straight from party to centered. I like that. <coughs> oh my goodness! <coughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> hey, oh, oh fuck. Um, okay, so on first blush, the taste of this guy is exactly as prescribed. It's got. It's hitting me in the back of the tongue and giving me a nice, gentle massage all the way on down the side. It's got a nice. It's like a honey drip, man. What else can I say? It's like I've put a lollipop in my mouth. And there's just a faint lemony flavor to it. It's lovely. I had to go a little bit too hard. And I got I to gotta share with you one of my pet peeves. Um, you know, sometimes your bowl doesn't stay lit when you're smoking out of a handpipe. You got to constantly reapply flame, right? And there is nothing worse than having to constantly reapply like a lighter flame. Yeah, it's no good. No, yeah. it's not good. A little so- bit of hemp stream, a little bit of hemp uh, uh, string will go a long way for that one. Brother. Yeah, the hemp wick. I, and I keep meaning to buy some. There's a thousand. And I, I've been gifted like so much hemp wick before. And I just keep losing it like I lose my lighters. Um, boy, would that ever make a difference right now? Because on my very last toke, I just got a little bit of that, a little bit of that like butane kind of taste, which which unfortunately soured my palate at the end a little bit. But the initial, yeah. the initial pull here was just a fruity delight. I was ready to party. Yeah, and I was ready to feel. You're good. on. Uh, you're on point with citrus and pungent. And let's let's hear a little bit about what our friend Derp Flower has to say about this. Derp Flower, take it away. He says, "I don't know what it is, but I've never let anything drop on this strain. I always subconsciously catch it before it hits the ground. So if you want to be feel like a ninja, this strain's for you." 
Wow. So I've, I've, just, <laughs> I've just acquired some new skills. Um, and it, it sounds as if I'll be, uh, I'll be a kung fu master by the time the evening is out. Tremendous. So, Andy, uh, as per our ritual, do you want to tell me how how lightly or heavily should I tread into the death, Bubba? Uh, it seems okay. Seems like we don't have too much uh, too much craziness going on here. Go deep. Go deep, Dan. I feel like you're lying to me, but because I trust you so deeply, I'm going to go in um, striding blindly on your recommendation. I like and it. what could go wrong? No, nothing, really. I mean, I'm, no, nothing. Death Bubba, bred by Matteo Sullivan of Vancouver, B.C.'s Sea to Sky. Oh, Canada native. Shout out, Matteo Sullivan. Is a beautiful purple-hued strain with trichomes and terpenes abound. Crossed by, or excuse me, created by crossing Death Star and Bubba Kush. This pungent pairing reeks of grass and skunk, while the smoke is sweet, earthy, and clean on the palate. Its semi-sedative effects lock the consumer to the couch, unnodding tension and soothing minor physical discomfort with ease. This stinky BC native has been serving cannabis enthusiasts since 2012 and was most recently smelled off Fraser Street, the Vancouver metro area. <laughs> that's funny. No, no <laughs> doubt. Pretty much constantly these days. Um, that's cool. I didn't know that it was a you know, Canadian strain. It's a little bit uh, little bit ominous for a Canadian strain. Um, earthy, sweet, and pungent are your flavor notes. And R. Vaymond Z, 10 days ago, has to say, shit, I see a new vision. Oh, my. That's it. Um, Leafly's right on with this one. It was very smooth, very clean on the palate. You know, there were some earthy notes in the, notes in the taste, but it, it was oh. easy on the lung, and it, and it went through um, with no, not a challenge, nary an issue. My, my neck, which I can now feel is a little bit tight, I can feel it's tight because I can feel it loosening up a little bit, and that's nice. Oh, nice! That's what I've signed on for. Um, and well, uh, you, you know, know what? Does you know what? Firstin has to say three years ago. Holy okay. shit! I had two hits of this last night, and I wasn't ready for how potent this strain is. I found uh -oh. myself staring blankly at the computer screen for a couple of seconds when it hit, trying to focus on not being too high. But then he snapped out of it, me, had an amazing five hours of listening to music and editing the pictures he had taken that day. And he goes on to oh, talk man. about the rest of his day over what is almost assuredly a very high continued review. Yeah, almost certainly he's going he's gonna to go deep, deep in description about JPEGs. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, going, he's going down on the origin of the JPEG. Um, and origin of the JPEG, my high school uh, alt-rock band. Now, Andy, we forgot it, uh, about it entirely the last couple runs, but let's briefly mention our, our munchie of the week. Um, today, I'm getting down on the Vrootman Bakery Maple Wafers. Oh. Baked with real ingredients. And it's got a smack of maple, and uh, it alerts me with a, a little bit of a symbol on the corner. This is a limited edition, and I got to say, these bad boys are light and flaky and delicious and have a very satisfying uh, a maple crunch. Let's check one of these out. Ooh, get in on that. Oh, yeah. Maple goodness, my man. Maple hitting the palate, cascading down like an ancient Canadian tree. Boosh. Hey, uh, got some maple cookies for me, bud? Not a wafer in sight there. 
Oh, yeah. Um, I have me uh, a slightly less satisfying snack. We've got two sugar snap peas and a small (laughs) triangle of laughing cow cheese. Now, laughing cow cheese... (laughs) Laughing Cow Cheese is a strange Canadian cheese, I believe. Um, It's like a grocery store staple. I don't even know what kind of cheese you could call it. It's more gelatinous than you would ever want in a cheese. Mm, That's bumming me out. But I've picked it up because on the front of this little wedge, there is a red cow wearing earrings and smiling at me like they just ripped the biggest bong in the orchard. It's, uh, It's nice. It's a good one. Now, is it possible that smile could be a murderous smile? Uh, I don't trust it, but for now, right. I'm going to have to enjoy it. Um, let's see mm-hmm. here. Just, I'm trying to get this triangle open. If you've ever tried to unpeel a triangle, it's not an easy feat. Uh, you know what? That sounds like something that is more uh, akin to doing ayahuasca in the Brazilian <laughs> rainforest with uh, the McKenna brothers. Then we unpeeled a triangle. How do we unpeel this found triangle, secret man? It's secret vortices. All right. So I've loaded up some of this laughing cow onto a sugar snap pea, and we're going to see how this goes down. A random snack for sure, but after champagne, what do you want but a fancy aperitif? This this is what uh, like a, a girl who's trying to maintain her figure might or a boy upon before. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. You're, it's right. A, a man. A man, really. A fierce... <laughs> Before a night on the town. Just had some cheese and a snappy. Some laughing cow <laughs> and a snappy. Uh, it's, I'm full. So it's so good, I, I need another one. The cheese, okay. however, has a sus- just a suspiciously sweet element there that's bothering me in a big way. It's like that, someone that took... That cow's winking at you now, isn't it? Yeah, it's like someone took this fresh cow's milk, turned it into a semi-ripe cheese, and then dumped half a container of sugar on top of it and let it cure for two years. Wow. You know that face is saying? That face is saying, you know what happened. You know what You know happened. what's been done to You this know this, these milk crimes that we've achieved. Wow. Andy, you know what I think it's time for, if I'm not interrupting your snapped peas too much? Let me tell you, the crunch of a snap pea... Oh, no. ...is both... <laughs> refreshing and sweet it's got something there and in the back of your mind you're like this is healthy but in the front of your mind you're like this is pleasure you know i think i actually saw this on uh, chef gordon ramsay's hell's kitchen they were serving cheese and peas it's his new it's his new aperitif you either respect or fear gordon ramsay to such a degree that you address him fully as chef gordon ramsay (laughs) <laughs> this cheese is too gooey, you scumbag! You, you wanker! Yeah, it's quite the thing. Uh, Dan, I think it's time that you take us down the dank dive. We don't have a we don't have a transition or sound effect yet, so you'll have to bear with that mouth organ. It, it, it's dank dive time. But first, I think we should put it out to all of our listeners. If you guys want to submit the bookend for dank the dank dive section, we'll pick the best one and we'll sub it in there. Or you can just you listen thinking? to me beatboxing. Oh, no. Oh, no. Cut this. Cut this. Cut this. No, that's death. That's podcast death. Oh, uh, so, yeah. It's it's really Andy. just the veneer. It's, it's 15 episodes of a veneer that we're doing a podcast so that you'll actually come in and listen mm-hmm. to me beatbox. Uh, yeah, it's been a trick. It's been a catfish for a beatbox this whole, all way. This whole time. Welcome to the um, purple beatbox squid. Go ahead, Dan. Dank dive. Uh, so, buddy, today, hey, listen, it's my segment. Let me say dang time. 
yeah. I mean, listen. I feel like we have we have both have custody of the segment. It's just it's gone to live with you, so it's taken your name. Well, Andy. I mean, maybe you should reexamine that. (laughs) Uh, I only examine things so, once as a rule. Uh, taking <laughs> today on the dank dive, we're going to start off with the deep seas uh, with Sea of Thieves and its upcoming updates. Oh, Sea of Thieves is doing some things. I mean, I, I have to imagine they'd need to, uh, given that their game is less of a game and more of the promise of a game. Yeah, you know, I feel like there's 15 hours of content on there, which will hold you out for a bit. But, you know, a lot of what they're talking about, Andy, is taking care of like a, a little bit of the sort of quality of life stuff, it sounds like. So, Q-O-L. Um, one of the Right. One of the things that, that happens right now is when you zone in, your crew, um, which you're joining, can vote you immediately to the brig. Oh, nice. I'm sure that hasn't uh, been abused at all. Right. Well, they call it brig abuse. And, uh, (laughs) you know, usually it's because they want you to drop out because they're waiting for their friend to join. Um, You know, they are going to make some quality of life improvements to get these scallywags out of the 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 dungeon. Right. um, And reserve spots for friends and, you know, set the privacy options of their group, which seems seems like a smart thing as well. um, There's going to be an option to uh, trigger on your mic. And be matched with people that are also talking on their mic. That's smart. Uh, you know, because a lot of, yeah, a lot of people have been joining mic ready only to have uh, a bunch of mute uh, shipmates, perhaps, uh, they to, to prevent the telling of the location of their treasure. You know, I've never heard of anyone doing this to address that very issue in gaming. That's crazy. It's what's such a good idea because the reason that voice chat most often doesn't pan out in a video game setting. Like I remember World of Warcraft introduced uh, a party voice chat a long, long time ago and nobody adopted it is because it only takes one time for you to zone into a party and be the guy that goes like, what's up, everybody? How's everyone doing tonight? Only to be met with hard crickets that you're never doing that again. <laughs> you're just, you're, yeah. you're not, you're going to now be one of the crickets and there will be no responding to any of those, you know, whatever pariahs that want to roll in and use their voice chat. It feels like you rolled up into the dungeon and you went, oh, hi guys, I was just looking for maybe a new friend, maybe a best friend. <laughs> and then you're met with deafening silence. Yeah, it was. it's one of those moments every time. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the uh, the beautiful spirit inside all of us gets crushed just a little bit every time that happens. Yeah, yeah, hence just the one time. So, uh, furthermore, they've said, uh, 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 Rare has said, uh, they've heard the feedback from the community, and they're doing some course corrections, which means they're, they're going to scramble to make it right, because they know they got a hit on their, their hands, and they know they only have uh, so long to land it before they turn into Destiny 2. You know what the first jobs to be taken over by AI will be? What's that? Video game press release people. Mm. We've been listening mm-hmm. to the community. We've made some changes. AI, you're welcome. You think, you think before coders, it'll be the uh, the PR generator? I think before we have a person or before we have an AI that can um, best calculate the optimum way to mop a floor, the PR guys will be out. Sorry. Fact. Fact. We have a, we have a robot at work that washes the floor. No lie. So, uh, oh, Mr. Right along. Mr. Roomba. Yeah. He's not. He's tall. He's more like he's like a, as tall as a, a three high filing cabinet, <laughs> and twice as wide. 
Uh, they deployed robots like these in San Francisco to clean and shoo away homeless people, and he was tossed into the uh, the ocean pretty quick, or the fountain, I believe. <laughs> that's a that's a dark purpose for for a robot. Mm-hmm. Wow, right? That's that is. Yeah, the, I think this, they look at that shit. You've got a, a janitorial robot. You're already enacting the dystopian future. And I think they deputized this robot, which has questionable legal grounds. Um, but uh, that made none this, of this uh, that this you're none of this, this shit that you're talking about is true, right? <laughs> like this, this can't. Oh no, be true. this is a hundred percent. This is frighteningly true. <laughs> there's a there's a homeless police officer janitor robot roaming around San Francisco. Not anymore, bro. Not anymore. No. And it was like for a specific area. It's been tossed in the fountain. It was it was cop killed, Andy. <laughs> This is not a real thing. Somewhere, somewhere, there's like a toaster oven that's like mourning her husband's death. He was a good cop. He was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he shoot away those homeless people in the oh, nicest ways. Man. Always cleaning after himself too. This is not real not news. Hero. Yeah. Uh, please continue the dank dive. Damn. Uh, yeah. Moving right along. Uh, PUBG turns out it wants. Uh, it's players back. Oh, okay. That I mean, was it? I, we talked about Fortnite's success last week. Clearly, it's blowing up everywhere. But I feel like PUBG's still chucking along at a pretty good clip. Well, um, you know, uh, Fortnite is clearly eating their lunch. Um, you know, it's getting more streams. It's getting more downloads as more concurrent players. The the player base is expanding at a greater rate. Right. Uh, you know, and here, you know. Sometimes it's it's it, being the trailblazer means you don't have the benefit of uh, you know uh, uh, forethought. You know you jump in and it turns into something. You know Fortnite could stand back and and go their own way with the same idea and, and do it really well. So there are some things PUBG is doing right though, right? Yeah, because it's it's got some players. No, and certainly. Fortnite, though, I think is a strange example of someone who can have some iteration in their design or the advantage of being second because, like, frankly, their game was something entirely different that they shoehorned last minute into a PUBG-style game and deployed to massive success. It's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I can see how PUBG... And I I know that there's some licensing stuff that went on and, you know, uh, there's all sorts of reasons why Fortnite coming out with a Battle Royale game felt a little offside to to Blue Hole, to PUBG. Um, And now it's even crazier that it's totally eclipsed PUBG in terms of at least the collective consciousness. And, you know, you're seeing mainstream celebrities like Drake are streaming Fortnite. You're seeing, you know, streamers of all kinds. I think there was actually... You said it last week. There was a group of YouTubers that came together to break Drake's record shortly thereafter. Yeah, six, 66 YouTubers. Yeah, 66. It just, it's, it's, it's really become quite a phenomenon. So, yeah, I guess PUBG's doing some new interesting stuff, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, PUBG, uh, seeing the writing on the wall, is, is going to try some new stuff. And it ran uh, a, an event um, that that's went on, uh, I think, over the weekend. And it was called uh, Tequila uh, Sunrise. And uh, what this mode is, is there's a tight, a tight um, encircle, like you drop into a smaller area, and you can see the first circle as you're dropping. Um, normally, that only you only know where the circle's oriented when you land. Um, so they players will concentrate themselves on a smaller uh, area, and you're limited to shotguns, uh, melee weapons, level three armor, 
and uh, and helmets, and they drop three times as often mm. uh, as the standard. And so what you get is like uh, just a higher higher paced, um, just free for all, and you just hear the boom 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 of shotguns. And, uh, you know, you're kind of finding out the range because you have to get pretty close for um, a shotgun of um, a shotgun distance. And I think that you're supposed to be it's only for player groups of four. Everyone goes into four person squads. So the theory is, is that you're working together so you can imagine how this can turns into an interesting little surgical strike team that's trying to pull off like w- what could be some very cool uh, squad combos. Yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds interesting. Um, you know, they're so they're. They're, they're bringing out some new modes to try and game it up a little bit, I guess, and adding in some cosmetics, I think, too. Weapon skins? Yeah. Yeah, I, weapon skins, I think. Interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know that Fortnite, and admittedly, I haven't actually played enough Fortnite to get any of the, um, you know, the special skins or to... I, think you have to purchase some of them perhaps uh, i think that's how they monetize their game so i haven't haven't really done enough of that but what i know about fortnite is every time i have zoned in everybody looks super different um so it's interesting that PUBG has added weapon skins i wonder if it's a paid feature um we'd have to see yeah uh, so also look forward to uh further custom games there's an, another one coming up called uh savage and uh, it seems to focus on early gunfights and uh, like uh, again, like a ramped up, exciting version of play. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, if you've run across in uh, Fortnite somebody who's using the default skin, you're either playing against somebody who downloaded the game today, or <laughs> they're the most deadly player on the server. Yeah, just just insane levels of deadly um and yes to answer your question player unknowns battleground skins will be unlocked in two different loot boxes one that's able to be purchased in game and another one that is uh, able to be purchased through the steam market similar to like a counter-strike i think cool well nice. i don't know if the skin nice. i don't think the skins are sellable so maybe not uh maybe not a full market yes so andy whisperings in the dark say the PS5 cometh. Oh, the PS5. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting thing because it feels like yesterday that the PS4 uh, launched, and that's both a trite thing to say, suggesting that I am indeed getting older, as well as um, the passing of time is starting to terrify me because, man, the PS4 mm-hmm. has only been in my cabinet for what seems like a nanosecond, and I got mine on release. Right, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that shaking you to its core, uh, early early word, what we're hearing is development kits going on. So, uh, you know, going out to different devs. And because those are in the wild, you can kind of think 2019 really late or 2020 is what the, the analysts are saying. Right. Um, you know, and we've gotten a little bit more used to iterative consoles, right? You get your launch and then you got your slim and then you got your, you know, your pro. And that, that's kind of when you're kind of reaching the, the end, you know, there'll be probably one more release and then the, the manufacturer is going to start to sneak in that last one, but it does seem to be speeding up. Like you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because I don't know at this point what the hell I would possibly want from a next gen console it's like are we at the point where just simply more power and more graphical um enablement is that exciting i'm not saying i wouldn't you know not exciting enough for me to buy but what i am saying is like 
everything is so high fidelity right now that it feels like there needs to be either a major ergonomic shift in like as in the way you play from a controller or you know the may, the way you play um or interact with the console or it needs to be in the form of um you know the way that you actually engage with the console i guess something akin to a switch i don't know it's it just it feels like you know going with a higher fidelity of graphics isn't as exciting now where the leaps forward in graphical cap- capacity are so incremental you know yeah, you know, the Switch rocked that boat, and you wonder, does the Switch take up all the people that are willing to experiment and see what a new console can do, and the other two just need to shoot straight down the center? They seem to be trending towards uh, the VR experience big time on their chipsets, um, especially what we're seeing from the PS5 early preliminary leaks. They seem to be integrating some dedicated VR processing. Um, So, you know, that's something that Sony's keeping an eye on. They sold 2 million VR units. So there's like an argument up for it. 1% of America is using it. Um, And it was a premium buy. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I mean, listen. I've never. I've actually never inter- interacted with VR before, so I don't know how next gen it feels. My, you know, my 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 understanding of where VR is at right now is it's cool and it feels gimmicky and it's not as engaging or immersive as you want it to be, right? Um, so maybe that tech evolves to the point where it's more of the go to. Yeah, it's a big gap that they could cross, but yeah, I just I feel like that's going to take a lot longer to be a thing that people want to engage in it goes you know you you talk about the difference between sitting down on your couch and flicking on a playstation and for example walking off with a switch that's a gap that you can you know foreseeably kind of broach right it's it's it, it makes sense and it appeals to two people who are in the same spot someone who wants to put a vr headset and see nothing but vr that's just a different experience than those other two things Um, and it feels like it's a smaller segment of people who actually want to play video games in that way you know yeah and i think it's like lends itself to a different video game experience like i did um i did a ghostbusters vr um, like activity at the rec room in downtown Toronto and you basically run through a Ghostbuster simulator and you're wearing like a proton pack and, and you're moving through spaces as you're having like a VR experience you're shooting ghosts and throwing down traps and stuff and it's it's good and maybe not an apt comparison to the modern uh, you know PlayStation VR games out there like uh, Doom and Resident Evil and whatnot uh, but after like a if I imagine myself doing that activity for like one to three hours, I would I'd be sort of tapping out right. earlier rather than than later. So I think my game time would actually shrink. Right. No, it makes it makes perfect sense. I I wouldn't know, um, but you know, I mean, VR seems like an interesting way to to approach the future of video gaming. But it, for some reason, it just doesn't feel like the way. You know, I feel like the next gen or perhaps the next generation of video game consoles that really feels like a leap. Um, will maybe not be this one, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's just another bridging technology. Who knows, man? 2020 feels like some Blade Runner type year. Yeah, it does. Feels like the year that they develop some sort of PlayStation peripheral that ends up uh, being the eventual downfall of humanity. Yeah, it's, it's 2020 and you're like, uh, your tax bill comes in and you're like, still? Still in dollars, not credits? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, man. You want to apply for a job on Mars, but we're not there yet. Yeah, no kidding. 
Well, Andy, I think uh, that uh, that'll let us come to the surface on this dank dive. Yeah, well, there's some interesting news articles. Um, speaking of uh, stuff coming out of the video game world, there's some there's a pretty small list of releases of games coming out in April. Uh, and not really anything with one very notable exception that I'm interested in playing. Um, but that notable exception, of course, is God of War. April 20th. On your Ooh. dad's birthday. Yes, just your dad. Uh, it's the perfect time to buy dad of war yeah featuring kratos that's (laughs) so apt so apt yeah i mean um i think you were telling me this originally and i've I've looked into it more and action games in the vein of god of war traditionally haven't been my favorite thing um you know the closest i get to really loving action games is probably the witcher but man this one looks like a ton of fun and Kratos has a son now, and he's swinging a battle axe, and his son's rolling around with him to kick some ass, and they're all in a Viking Norse setting. So it just, there's, there's so many reasons why that sentence makes the difference for me between what, you know, God of War was when I played it on PSP or on early PlayStation to what this release sounds like it's trying to get accomplished. Absolutely. It's like got some Event Horizon mixed in there, and what really blew me away, Andy, is um, the game reportedly can be played as one cinematic shot. No cuts, cool. no load screens, one shot. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the you know, here, boy, I don't know what outside, like if this, if this game was still set in the traditional God of War mythological Greek setting. I wouldn't have even given it a second look. But for some reason, you know, the Norse mythology Kratos being dropped into that separate setting, it, it just it sounds really cool. And I'm interested to see how they pull off what I understand to be a little bit more of like a narrative focus in this game. Um, there's also uh, a marked lack of quick time events, which from the PSP um, God of War title, which is the one that I played the most, there were quick time events all over that thing. You'd get halfway through a boss fight, and like all of a sudden you're mashing, you know, square circle or whatever it is um, to to get through, which always feels like a little bit of a cop out, right? So they're they're yeah. they're replacing that with like a stun meter. I don't really get how the combat system works, but it sounds interesting. It, and it looks elegant. It's one of these things where you look at the flow of combat and, and, you know, it's a tech demo. So, you know, you believe what you want. But the, the, the combat looks so fluidic. And, you know, there seems to be some good customization around that style. You seem to be able to, you know, uh, put it into uh, durability or increase your damage with your axe more. You're an axe guy. Um, there's another skill tree. So I, too, am an axe you- man. A little bit of an axe man. A little bit of an axe uh, man. Do Kratos how you will. Um, can, can I ask you an honest I, I question, think, Dan, before you tell us what yeah. you think? Fluidic. Yeah. Where does that rate on the being a word scale? Fluidic? Um, I would say 100% a word. You say 100% a word? Survey says fluidic. Not a word. Dude, there's fluidic is definitely a word. Oh. Survey says... Fluidic is a word of relating to or being a device that depends for operation on the pressures and flows of a fluid and precisely shaped channels. Fluid is also a fluidic is also an adjective. It means it is like has viscosity and moves around. It has the properties of a fluid like. I believe you carry on. (laughs) 
Um, <clears throat> so, Dad of War, uh, you, you, you know, I, you're right. I like, I like the tunnel shift. Just talking about the old games for a second. You know, what I really liked and I thought it was really clever. You have this like powerful uh, Greek. Um, warrior gentleman even at the beginning and when he opens chest you have to like pound the X button and that could in theory be annoying but it's not like a link thing where you come over and over and hit it and it opens majestically once like uh, Kratos rips that chest open with his might just like he does gates and gorgon's heads and it was like a good way to like tell the play the the brain of the player like oh this guy's violent and strong like he it's he's a rough and tumble gentleman yeah i mean sure you, that 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 def definitely conveys that feeling the first time you're mashing a button but as a gameplay device it feels it always feels just annoying to me it's like a i don't know it's like a call from the captain you know, mm. this is the captain speaking. You've won a free <laughs> cruise. And, you know, that that's that's yeah. what it feels like when I'm in a QTE. Yeah. You know what? Uh, God of War, I think, was just enough. And then, um, you know, you got into games like uh, the Star Wars uh, one with uh, with Death Star. Um, what is it uh, for something of the force? Uh, anyway, there's a quick time event every two seconds to like nice. take down an, an ATST or or whatever. It's it it just it became obnoxious immediately. You're like that was super cool. Can we never do it again? <laughs> and they're like, sorry. Oh man, um, you know what other games coming out? Yakuza Six. So I haven't played any of the games in the Yakuza series, um, which I hear is extremely strong storied. Um, Yakuza 6, The Song of Life, just looks like a, uh, a continuation of the story, including going to prison and coming out a mysterious baby daddy. So, <laughs> mm, I mean, listen. That old, that old chestnut. That old chestnut bringing it to life. Um, other than that, yeah, yeah, a lot of like these kind of indie titles on the map. Um, there's, a, there's a game coming out called Metal Max Xeno on Vita. It's coming out for PS4, mm. but Vita also. It sounds like exactly the kind of game that embodies a Vita title. It's a vehicular anime chibi tank role-playing game. Hey, Andy, what's a chibi? Uh, chibi is a vegetable. Oh. No, a, chi is a chibi is a, a chibi. Nutritious? It sounds like it should be a vegetable. A chibi is like a small anime drawing of a of a tiny being with an enormous head i don't i don't, I don't get the fascination but it's a, it's a it's a real phenomenon uh yeah and I, it feels like there must be an audience and it's like the exact amount of money you want to spend on a license you're like where'd you get the license oh we made it up just now just All now right. here we go um, just now yeah but you you play in vehicles and there's tanks involved and it's a role-playing game it seems super weird. Uh, and you know what? Maybe that maybe it deserves a shot. April 19th for the Vita. Hey, Andy, uh, Age of Empires got a remaster, and following that up spiritually, uh, we got another sort of that type of strategy game uh, in Total War. And it's there's two. There's the Thrones of Britannia, and oh, it's just one. Anyway, it's Total War in medieval Britannia. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's the game. That <laughs> so that's what it is. succinct, succinct as usual, my friend. Um, Total War mm -hmm. has never really appealed to me. That game, I, a mutual friend of ours, Joseph, uh, Joseph, um, used to play this game uh, in its early days, and it always just mm -hmm. seemed like a random stringing of like uh, multiple choice events, like assassinate the general or try and be diplomatic with the general, and in between there was just the random 
uh, simulation of a complete war of attrition. You've just got two sides grinding away at each other on the numbers until one side is victorious. So Somebody is then properly using their pincer maneuver and I'm guessing deploying their cavalry at the wrong time. Sung Su says that uh, the battle is decided to be won or lost before a single arrow is fired. Yeah, know thy enemy. Uh, anyhow, uh, Total, Total War <laughs> is a game that's eluded me ever since then. Um, you yeah. know, medieval uh, medieval throne or uh, Total War Thrones of Britannia. Yeah, it sounds like it could be interesting. Oh, yeah, that could be a thing. Dude, I completely missed one of the biggest announcements. Nintendo Labo's What's coming that? out this month on 420. The Labo. Oh, the Labo's coming out. This is interesting. So we talked about the Labo back when it was uh, when it was announced. I still think it's crazy that it's coming out on 420. That's sweet. <laughs> That's just the yeah, best day. I wonder if Nintendo's up on that I mean, or it's just the right time for them to be up on, you know, like their cardboard kit-based um, you know, uh, add-on. And my question is, Andy, I heard you could buy them like pre-made from Nintendo. Is that a, a true fact? That I do not know. But what I do know is there is right. a stoner at Nintendo and he's the one who sets the release dates because there's no way this is a coincidence. We should, we should release it on 420. They're like, that is an acceptable day. <laughs> um, man, this is, I mean, what Nintendo Labo, if you don't know what it is, you've you kind of been living under a rock because Nintendo's gone ahead and turned a bunch of boxes into crazy toys that react with your Joy-Con. Um, so I think right now the ones that are coming out are like the piano and the fishing set and that that, uh, that were kind of demoed. And then there's another version coming out that's the same price, like 60 or 70 bucks, um, that lets you simulate a giant robot or something. And it seems like not mm. that cool because all you do is wear a backpack and walk around or, or like move your arms. Looks like something you could do with like a Wiimote from the original Dude, Wii. If you're 12 or a mom, this is like a godsend. They're like, I want them to learn how to garden, bit, but they want to play video games. Let's split the difference. No, 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 no. I'm just talking about the robot one. Everything else sounds amazing. The, you know, the. No, no. I, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I. Yeah, yeah, but there's also I, I, like a, I, a Wii fitness element with the robot one. So I guess that's kind of the angle they're coming from. Yeah, you're like you know yeah, you're gonna yeah, stomp yeah. around. You're gonna be a robot. You're gonna get some exercise. For me, the the coolest Labo thing that, that's coming out is there's this uh, this fishing one where you can customize your fish. Like you'll cut it into a shape and then import it into the Switch, and then you'll like color up your fish, and it'll become this unique fish that you fish later. Mm, a lot of mm. lot of fishing going on. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, with that kind of carving technology, maybe after you caught the fish, they could uh, teach you how to make a nice fresh nigiri, uh, possibly a spicy tuna roll. It's not beyond the scope of what Labo can do. First, technically Labo fishing. Available. Second, label Labo, uh, you know, intensive gastroenterologist surgery. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, that's a good one. I like that. Comes with uh, all you need. Yeah, all you need, including uh, a PhD from Harvard. Yeah, and then um, yeah, an Adventure Time RPG is coming out. Uh, South Park RPG is coming out, and um, this really terrible game called Extinction has just come out today. Sorry, Extinction. We you know I haven't played you, so uh, you know maybe maybe there is some redeeming qualities there. However, it genuinely looks like a low fidelity dragons dogma wannabe um uh, that yeah that just that's charging you know triple a triple a prices so uh, it doesn't look so good and GameSpot says extinction a giant mess 
So <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a good sign. Hats off to you, uh, sirs. So speaking of hats off, gloves off for Nintendo. Like now that we've seen Bayonetta and South Park make it to the Switch, like that's that's all all, all bets are off on this one. They'll put anything on that that console. They got Nintendo like. got naughty. Yeah, fast. They got naughty fast. They're like, you know what? Yeah. We've been appealing to the child demographic too long. It's time to can up some fart jokes and get high and throw fucking <laughs> that South Park in on this thing. Like, it's just a strange, yeah. it's a strange tack. It was a, it was an ethical promise that they made to themselves that like year one when they release something that that's like the youngest person that they have there they're, that they're beholden to and everyone else is older and like once that one year old when they originally launched in the in the US reached 21 they're like old enough and they're like smut town yeah they're going straight to adult only titles on the switch well guns are now welcome you know women can undress and dress if especially if it's part of a ceremony to shoot people with guns you know yeah it's like bayonetta Full made circle. it in and you're like oh wow we're here are we <laughs> They're like they're like that. We'll draw the line. No, no labial shots at all, please. Keep those to a minimum. This is a family establishment. And now we've got Nintendo labio, so you know everything's worked out. Um, Dan, tell me how this uh, how this dark bubba is hitting you. Oh, it's a it's been a stern one two punch, but I do feel quite relaxed. I've hunched into a, a sort of hermit like stature, but it's working for me. Yeah, you know, champagne was initially a really bright, um, really. I think the word we used was effervescent, and it's a good one. Um, initially, sure. initially a very effervescent, um, you know, uh, state change, followed by what I can only describe as a deep descending couch lock into utter comfort. I think I'm perched on this chair with just my elbows, but in such a way that the balance is working like correctly with the earth. It's a good thing we don't pay by the like letter in this podcast because we break off some some questionable ten dollar words. Yeah, well, I mean they're always dubious, and that's what makes them fun. Um, and perfunctory question mark. Perfunctory Wait. is one of the least words. Reminds me of piercing your inner ear. Right. That's what it right. feels the like. The inner ear is the one that you don't pier- pierce. Outer ear, fair game. Pierce inner your, ear, just, for sure. just calm down. You, piercing and your have ear. Have you ever heard of the pink? What? Have you ever heard of the pink noise, my man? The pink noise? The pink noise. What's the pink noise? So, like, uh, it, the pink noise is a noise that um, makes certain uh, inner ear um, uh, elements tense up muscles and, and hearing apparatus in a certain way that if it's deployed right before a car crash it can prevent hearing loss from the sound that happens in a car crash that, that wow that is an oddly specific example of preventing hearing loss right and mercedes-benz have the safety feature that it, when it detects an impending car crash it deploys this pink noise to protect your hearing i see what's happened here dan Show me the Mercedes-Benz paycheck. <laughs> like, seriously. That's... <laughs> this last two minutes has been a fucking Mercedes-Benz shill, and I don't want to, I don't want to hear anything else that's, about that's, it. That, that's Dank Dan at uh, PDSQ. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. It's a, it's a unique thing, the old pink ear. Um, boy. <laughs> but who, like, how many car accidents have to happen before you're, like, looking at, at a, like, a mangled person? You're like... Wonder if they're deaf at all. <laughs> do you think 
because hearing's okay. Everyone slowly turns. And oh, looks there's at that. You. There's that fucking dark Bubba coming out of you. <laughs> coming out of the most <laughs> macabre of ways. No, but the truth is, is that they've armored these vehicles in such an awesome way. Like you crash a car of that of that make and model and stature, the an airbag hopefully catches your face in the front. There's uh, airbags across all the other windows that fly over to keep anything from flying or you flying out of the car, any of the horrible things that can happen. And your seat belted in and, you know, the, the car fractures and breaks in just the right way. So after long enough, you're like, how do we keep them from getting concussions? And like when the guy comes out of, you got 100,000 people coming to car crashes just fine. You, you start to hear people being like, oh, but my ears hurt. And I, I have ringing. They're like, you have ringing. Well, you were just in an 80 mile an hour car crash. Yeah, no kidding. You're like, but my ears. Oh yeah, ears are ringing, and Mercedes is like, "We'll innovate, we'll innovate past that. You'll be back to crashing your car in no time." Oh my god, horrific! Um, High Times recently put out an article: uh, "How to Hide the Smell of Weed." High Times, or High Times, where was this when I was fourteen? Or maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's a repurposing of an article that they've posted every year for the last, you know, three decades. I don't know. Heads up, everybody. <laughs> Um, but sure enough, high times has come out with how to hide the smell of weed. And that's cool, man. Let's find this out because, you know, here's the thing. Um, the smell of weed is now more than ever, a pretty acceptable thing to smell in Canada. And at the same time, there are times when you, uh, you know, you don't want to be stinking up either, you know, the, I don't know, car of a mother-in-law or something of that sort. I feel like there's still some very specific examples of when you don't want to smell like weed. Um, but number one on High Tide's list is, drum roll please, Dan. Brrr. Open your window, have a fan. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, I picture the guy, the article writes like, what's the opposite of a hot box? I don't know, man. Like, open up a window and put a fan on. High five. High five. Two high fives. High times. That's, high that's, five. It's, that's a good idea, actually. That's pretty tight. Well, and you know what, uh, Todd? That is pretty tight. It's pretty tight. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to throw too much shade at high times. They qualify it. You know, if you're trying to hide the smell, you want it out of the room as soon as possible. It feels like common sense, but maybe there's some deep thought that goes in. I'm there. throwing zero shade. At high times, it gently suggests without making you feel like an idiot. If you just Googled like how to not smell like pot, like I need this, Rhonda's coming, my stepmother. It's like, hey, bro, if you open up that window and turn on your fan, you're like, good idea. Good idea. And you didn't make me feel bad. You didn't make me feel bad about it. It's like, I know, man, we're here for you. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. If high times was a dude, he would be Todd for sure. Um, That's why it's not written by Business Insider. That's right. Well, in Q4 of 20. In <laughs> 2008, we were aware of this, and you should have been too. Yeah, open your disappointed. Open up your window, dickhead. Um, no papers. Okay, this is so. This is this is some inf- interesting information here, because you're sitting back, you're wondering how can I go ahead and smoke this thing without creating as much smoke as possible. And papers makes a ton mm. of sense because it only takes smoking a joint inside once to realize that. If you're smoking a pipe, you can inhale the whole bowl, direct that smoke in, in you know whatever direction you like, out a window, whatever, and largely there's not too much lingering. But if you're burning a joint, it's smoking in between tokes, you're passing it, and it's smoking all over the place. That smoke is just dispersing itself willy-nilly all over the room with no direction. So yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. A hand pipe is actually a great little investment if you want to uh, keep an in- inside space uh, as you know, least stinky as possible. Yeah, low profile and tactical. You're not starting a 
uh, an incense branch and holding it in the room. No, you're firing shots. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, um, you know, this is this is something that I've kind of uh, really settled into over the past while, which is I, you know, I, I like blunts. Um, I don't typically roll them a bunch myself. That's usually more of a social setting, but joints for sure are are probably my favorite way to smoke, right? A nice joint. And when I'm inside, there's absolutely no way I'm rolling one up. It's so nice to be able to grab like a Sherlock pipe or something small, stand by a window, um, do a bowl and a half or something of that sort, and just blow it right out, leaving pretty much no stink behind. Yeah, yeah, that's a tactical in and out, and uh, I I should hop up on that. You know, I'm still I'm still hitting the the, the similar uh, efficiency bong, um, but you do you do kind of have a larger apparatus, but generally the same thing. You can fire it out the window, and you're in and out, and, and there's no problem. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, ooh, the old sploof. The old the sploof, sploof. Yeah. the return of the sploof. I think you corrected me and said no, it's a spoof, but no, it's also a sploof. I think. Yeah. Um, you know what? I think it's one of those things that went by many names, and uh, and and we said spoof, and and I think spoof is valid. Yeah. Because you put a spliff in it. Once you put a spliff in the spoof, it's a spoof. Yeah, guaranteed, hundred percent certified. Um, so yeah, the Smoke Buddy and the Sploofy are two products that are basically a uh, a reusable high end spoof, but you can just do the old cardboard tube and dryer sheet, and that is one that I think everybody's participated in at least once. Yes. That's yeah. that's the that's when, the old when, university yeah, dorm room trick. When you absolutely can take no chance. Yeah. You've put a silencer on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, you have. Uh, vaporized, that's an easier one. Although, you know, vape still still kind of makes enough smell that I think it's a false sense of security when you're when you're vaping on herb, even if you're vaping on extract, yeah. but especially on herb. that You can smell that from a good distance away, and it will linger. So vaporizing, I don't think, is the be-all, end-all. Candles, incense, and spray. This I gotta disagree. Oh, you know what? They're they're candid about it. The last resort to hiding the smell of weed indoors is to cover it up with the smell of something else. And isn't that true, man? Like, there's gotta be nothing else on earth that cuts through a cloying, nauseating smell like weed. It's so additive. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's the perfect neutralizing scent. Um, you can do more damage than good with this one. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I remember I smoked in a vehicle. Um, many, many, many years ago, and it's sorry, a cigarette, not a, not a, um, uh, not weed. And what I got was one of those Glade or Airwick, uh, tobacco removal sprays, right? They get rid of the smell of tobacco. I got to tell you, I sprayed it in the car. Not only did my car still smell like tobacco, but it smelled like tobacco and rat poison. <laughs> so I could tell you. Something went it wrong. Was burning. There was like, the, it was it was as if you had walked into a porta potty and lit the whole thing aflame. Just, just the worst, worst kind of scent. And, you know, regardless if it's that bad or if you're just doing some Febreze or whatever, pretty challenging to cover up the smell of weed that way. Andy, I recently got in, uh, you know, a three-hour traffic jam, um, something a jackknife across something, and what occurred to me is that driving and smoking a cigar at highway speed would be horrible, but at traffic jam stop and go speed, it would be absolutely essential. Right. So I I, I light up the cigar and puff it for you know twenty five kilometers of the four hundred one ten feet at a time, and I have to say. It was majestic and 
the beautiful thing about smoking a cigar is uh, you don't have to worry about getting rid of the smell because it just smells like a leather-bound books. Right. It smells like a, like a rich gentleman in his study. Yeah, a, a distinguished man gracefully aging into his 50s. It smells like the, the commercial that the man who invented Old Spice would have made. That's right. And, and he has a, a side business selling comfortable men's driving gloves. Yeah, and uh, small leather pouches for your monocle. There's there's a set of golf clubs in the in the back. That's what that smell says. Yeah, about a car. Yeah, for sure. And the driver is made out of wood. <laughs> Comprised and whittled entirely of wood. That was a tough one to say yes to, but I went for it and I liked it. <laughs> I'm glad that you so you went yes and Dan. I'm glad that you went yes and. Listen, dude, we have got oh boy, we have gone deep on this podcast. Let's uh, let's let's knock off a couple other things. Nexon got fined by the Korean government over loot boxes to the tune of like seven hundred and fifty eight hundred thousand dollars. Um, Whoops! Yeah, they did a little bit of misleading marketing around the odds of getting some specific shiny items. Generated a nice little chunk of money and f- promptly got uh, got uh, fined by the Korea's Fair Trade Commission. There were two other. Um, we didn't mean to turn our game into a rigged slot machine. No, it was an accident. That was not us. We didn't mean to. Uh, yeah, we didn't mean to go deep on deceiving the public. We just wanted to generate a little bit of cash in a deceitful way. Mm, yes, and sometimes that works. Yeah, and in our defense, we thought you weren't looking. <laughs> uh, Pokemon Go is getting shiny Pokemon. I, I can't go any deeper than this, other than to say, Pokemon Go is like the thing that blew up two summers ago, and somehow has continued iterating into a totally different game. Like I jumped into the, uh, I jumped into the notes of this game um, a couple weeks ago. And they mm-hmm. they've added like three generations of Pokemon. They've got weather specific stuff you can do. It's it's like quite in depth, uh, and I, that's kind of mind blowing. I wonder if Pokemon Go had released in the state it's in today, if you'd still see a lot more people playing it. Because admittedly, it has died off pretty good. Um, but yeah, now they've got shiny Pokemon, so that's cool. If that's if that's what you're into. Um, hey Andy, mm-hmm. um, uh, Pokemon's my safe word, so yes, no deeper, mm, no deeper. Let's move along. Let's move along. <laughs> and finally, finally, binge drinking is on the decline in weed legal states. An article by you Mary Jane say. reveals. You don't say. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, it's some some interesting stats here. Apparently, there's been a worrying spike, according to the CDC, so not just like a random opinion. There's been a worrying spike in heavy drinking across the country <laughs> over the past Whoops. short while. One in six Americans, or 37 million people, consuming more than five drinks within two hours at least once a week. I, I mean... That's going for it, Andy. Yeah, I, I, so, I mean... That's just kind of like a Friday, Saturday night for a large chunk of the population. I was, I'm was i wondering what their actual um, stats would be if they increased that to like two days a week or something of that sort. Right. You know, I feel like it's less shocking that, you know, a major, one in six American adults go out and get wasted on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, that, that doesn't seem that. And it's five drinks, so it's not even wasted. It's just out for a time. Anyway. Yeah, when I go, when I go out, I'm taking a cab home. Probably I should. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're, you're going there. You shouldn't operate any heavy machinery. Sure. And it's, 
and Andy, it's no surprise, like the all the alcohol companies um, kind of panicked when legalization was rolling forward and and took one of the groups that took active measures to try and stop it. And while some of them are doing that, they're also hedging their bet, bet bets like uh, Anheuser-Busch um, has purchased some some stuff in the green space. And they're like, well, I better have my legs on both uh, in both boats. Was that Anheuser-Busch? And, I thought uh, it was Constellation, the guys who do uh, Corona. I think it's, think it's both, my man. Oh, really? Honestly, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a lot of them are hedging I, their bets for sure. And Corona didn't oppose it, but Anheuser did in certain states. They tried to put a stop to it, and it's um yeah, it's probably a good thing. Well, I mean, there's also there's also some some breweries that are doing what is it? Oh yeah, like Blue Moon. In this article, it says the brewmaster behind Blue Moon announced he'd be starting a THC infused beverage brewed or brewed beverage company, and I think Constellation Brand said about the same thing. So. Uh, oh yeah, followed behind a, a Budweiser executive who made his own leap into the California can- our cannabis industry. So you're right, and Huserbush is in there too, and Constellation um, Brands. Wow, crazy. Yeah, they're they're jumping in both feet, really hedging their bets. Handy, did you know that Blue Moon is only called Blue Moon in the United States of America? What is Blue Moon? Um, Blue Moon is a beer, and everywhere else in the in the world, it's called Belgian Moon. Oh, really? I w- but they felt that that wouldn't play as well in the U.S. That's so strange. Weird. Well, right. I wonder if they were right. So maybe it's like the Freedom Fries decision. And maybe they don't want to say French, I guess. <laughs> um, fact a second on this one. Uh, in Canada, you can get Belgian Moon. And it's the same beer that they already sell as Rickard's White. Oh, interesting. Well, that is a little power mm- fact for you there. Either way, really the same beer. So just figure out whichever's one that's on sale and purchase that. There you go. There you go. Either way, in legal adult use cannabis states, the number of binge drinking sessions per month was nine percent below the national average. Um, so yeah, kind of cool, man. I mean, here it, it doesn't make a it doesn't make a ton of mystery for me. Um, there is plenty of advantages to having a little puff as opposed to going out and slamming back five drinks, not least of which is a cost B inconvenience C dealing with a hangover and, and D, um, just the general fun time of chilling back on the reef reef. Factual. Factual actual. And actual. Yes, sir. All the way to the actual. Why don't we uh, why don't we go ahead and park this puppy? I think we've uh, we've ridden this road all the way to its conclusion. I'm ready to go and uh, sleep. <laughs> We're gonna park it into Sleepy Town. Yes, sir. Listener questions or games you want us to play. Purple Dungeon Squid at gmail.com, friends. And uh, make sure that you whisper our name to your local Nugsmith and let them know that we're in town. Whis- whisper to your name to all of your friends. Just do it mm. in a public place with plenty of witnesses. I love make it. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time. Keep it dank. Uh, keep it dank. Uh, keep it right a dank. Uh, keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.